Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenceless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. If he is still around town and if he's sitting somewhere eating his breakfast this morning and can hear what I'm about to say. I mean this in all sincerity. Dara O'Brien at the marquee last night, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. Dara O'Brien did more for adoption activism, which I've been involved in myself for over 20 years. He did more in 20 minutes than any politician has done in 30 years. It was a wonderful, wonderful show. He is a comic genius. But he held the marquee in the palm of his hand as he told his own story. What a remarkable gig and what a remarkably funny man. Great to see it. Great to see it. Good morning to you. We got a statement from the council about Bishop Lucy Park. Remember Trish was on yesterday morning talking about what she saw and experienced and thought down in Bishop Lucy Park when she was taking her granddaughter in there to try and have a spot of lunch. The view from the council is that well, um, you're you're you you're 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 not looking at the same thing as we're looking at at all. Nothing to see here, kind of thing, is the view from the council. I'll come back to that. Uh, they sent us a statement. We also got some information back from Unpost about uh, the uh, television license collectors. All of that to come. But I know this man's been very busy, and his colleagues have been very busy uh, all, all night. Uh, at the site of the Sunset Ridge Motel of pious, glorious and immortal memory. It was a great place to gig. It was a great place to eat. It was a good place to stay at its time. But it's been just a derelict shack. A derelict tumble-down shack now for God knows how long. And last night, the inevitable happened. It was burnt to the ground. Victor Shine from Cork Fire Service. Victor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you keeping? I'm very well, sir. This was a bad one. 
It was a bad one, yeah. Um, significant resources were drawn from the city during bonfire night to deal with this significant uh, commercial type fire. It was a substantially a derelict building covering a large area and uh, it was burning from one end to the other through the, the roof of, of the particular building, you know. So huge resources were required to bring that under control and uh, we're still damping down there at the moment, just wrapping up and waiting for our building controls team to go out and uh, take control of the situation there. When was the alarm raised? It was early in the evening. Um, I don't have the exact time for you, but uh, quite early on, just shortly after six o'clock, maybe just before seven. And um, we had crews out there and we had to get support crews then from Mallow as well up to um, enhance our fire capabilities due to the the draw on our on our teams for bonfire night as well so it was significant we had three water tankers uh, due to water kind of pressure issues and um, you know kept firefighting throughout the night and just wrapping up now does the fact that a place like that has been lying derelict for so long does it make it more of a fire hazard when something starts um, well with a building that's uh, secured in very uh, in, a, in a, a very proper manner, you know, uh, preventing access to tr- vehicle traffic, which was the case with concrete bollards and proper uh, securing on windows, doors and so on to prevent people getting in. That will generally keep a building quite well mm. uh, protected against uh, vandalism or uh, any sources of ignition being exposed to the properties. But um, again, perhaps people, you know, or, or, or something, it's under guard investigation, actually, the actual cause of this fire last yes. night, but uh, there was obviously no power supplies going into the building. So it would be presumed it would have been, um, you know, yeah, caused yeah. maliciously. And when and when it is being discussed by Gaddy, I'm aware you are, are investigated. Yeah, we're restricted. Exactly, we can't. Victor, otherwise much, a very busy night. Uh, the, the, the rain, which I know that some of you wish for, didn't come until late last night or early this morning. So how was it in terms of bonfires? It was extremely busy, in excess of 65 or 65 actual bonfires. Uh, we had two significant house fires where um, uh, late last night around one o'clock, we had two people rescued from a house in Ballon Lock, uh, two females from a building that required um, HSE intervention from ambulance crews and hospital. Um, uh, some vehicular road traffic collisions, uh, an oil tank on fire <coughs> out in the Blarney direction. So a significantly busy night for the fire service in Cork City. And we are supported by our colleagues from Carrigaline and from Mallow as well. And um, from our tankers from, um, from um, Middleton as well, sorry. Yeah. came up to us as well, giving us support. A busy night, as always, despite over the last number of years, calls coming out from yourselves and from council, you know, better to have no fire than a fire that goes out of control, but people just will do what people do, I guess. That's that's what they'll do. Um, so the, 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 the Sunset Ridge now, that's going to be, I, I take it, fully investigated. Your experts will, will find this, as they call it, am I right, Vic, the, the seat of the fire? You'll, you'll find Exactly, you'll find yes. That. So they're going to look at the the source of the fire, where it began, if there's any witnesses, obviously, of how it may have started and so on. And obviously, there's the environmental issues. Uh, there was an environmental team out there sampling the atmospheres during the, the fire as well, mm-hmm. taking samples of the gases coming off it and any other toxins that may be present. So 
Yeah. You know, so it's it's quite a considerable undertaking when you have a significant fire of that yeah. size, yeah. Yes. and then the follow up investigations yeah. by our Garda colleagues and our fire. Uh, yeah. Uh, prevention team and our building controls team in Cork City Council as well. Talk me through those investigations a little bit. We hear about things like building control inspections and, you know, there's all these common phrases. So once once the fire is fully extinguished and it's, and it's safe to walk on site, what happens then? Yeah, so um, obviously we're going to do an examination ourselves from, from the fire uh, team side of it, from operations. Um, I was just speaking to our colleagues now in building control who would be the experts in uh, securing the site for um, to check is it is it obviously a safe structure mm. does it need to be um, reinforced in any way or does it actually need to be demolished so that's um, ongoing at the moment they will oh, they're be in a lot there already of, are they? Yep, so we, I was literally just back from there now, so we had teams out looking at it early this morning, and we have teams throughout the night, obviously, dealing with the fire, right. but um, it's going into the, the next phase of the, the investigation now, and securing and making contact and, with the owners of the And that's engineering, is it? That's, that's, they're, they're testing to see, like, is this building in danger of collapse? Is that what exactly. it is? So right. look, Structural engineering exactly, stuff. Yes, so like. they're looking at Exactly. So it's the steel structure of the building. Is is it able to support the rest of the structure? And down to even just securing off with either Harris fencing and the structure itself to make sure that you don't have anybody yeah. wandering onto the site, um, having a look around that may endanger themselves or... Yeah. You know, it, must be, it must be quite skilled work in that you have to examine the, the, the safety of the place and see is it is it safe at this point or do you like is it have to demolish it but you also have to as it were preserve the scene for the experts like yourselves who will find the sources Exactly so they, obviously the Gardaí now will be taking over they may have a forensic team outside there today um, taking evidence uh, investigating the whole situation um, and then like, we don't typically pull out stuff until they're finished because right. obviously we don't want to be disturbing any evidence that may have uh, accumulated inside it from accelerants or whatever the cause may have been. So it's like a, a CSI kind of operation. There's a lot of work has to be done post yeah. post fire as well. So they'll be looking for statements from our fire crews, yes. from our officers in charge of the scene from the early stages as it developed and so on and yeah. towards the end. And in a building like this, an old building, now we don't know if this is true, but a lot of people are saying there's asbestos there. What that I mean we we know how dangerous that can be. What what happens? Well, that's what's being looked at at the moment. But the minute you start damping down with water on, on, to, on top of any of these substances, it's going to keep everything down. Um, we would have had crews and uh, Gardaí going around to the, the neighbours, neighbouring properties of that building last night as well, just t- telling them secure windows and so on. Yeah. So um, all these things are looked at at a very early stage and there's dynamic risk assessments being carried out. Right. And again, uh, our environmental uh, colleagues would have been, again, sampling the air to look for any... Um, any particulates or toxins that may be yeah. in the atmosphere yeah. as well. That in, could be in old, old building you know. materials, we wouldn't dream of using now. And, and yeah, 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 they could, they could, they could be there. You know, for, for the crew that that were working all night, Victor, and the kind of people, as we said before, who run in when the rest of us are running out. Like, do they get any sort of rest now, or are they back on shift? Do they get medical tests? Do they get anything like that? No, obviously, we will all. Uh, gear up with the appropriate uh, our personal protective equipment, masks, breathing apparatus, whatever the environment that we're going to go yeah. into. 
So um, we would have been rotating crews throughout the night. So obviously, if there was a hazard, that we'd be even, you know, up to coming or pulling back completely from the incident. But the officers at the scene, if they found it um, particularly hazardous, they would have taken additional steps. So they were there. Like, yeah, yeah. So down to simple face masks and so on. But again, there was nothing significant came out of last night. No, obviously you would have had a lot of smoke as you would have had from bonfires going yeah. into the atmosphere. Yeah. But um I was out at the very early stages and it, there were just simple face masks being worn around, which would be uh, standard procedures for just dealing with your your simple fires now. Yeah. Well, it's been a busy night anyway and compounded, multiply compounded by the situation at Sunset Ridge. So to you and all of the crew who worked through the night and all of the crews from across the city and county, thank you for your service, Victor. Very pleasure and thank you for the call this morning. Cheers, that's Victor Shine from Cork City Fire Brigade. And look, um, I last worked out at Sunset Ridge. I was the MC for a darts match featuring James Wade and that's a few years ago now um, and it was run down and derelict and falling down at that stage they just had a bar and a kind of a restaurant space working then the bedrooms I don't know have been, haven't been used for generations um, but it was let's call a spade a spade it has been a hub for antisocial behaviour of every kind for the last 10, 15 20 years. When I saw the first pictures emerging last night on social media, I was down the marquee and I saw the the pictures starting to come in. I said to myself, oh well, it was only a matter of time. And we've been trying to get a couple of people to talk to us this morning, trying to get contributions from locals who saw this and have been living with the antisocial elements down there for years. And people are very upset and people are very angry. Very, very, very angry on the phone, telling us this has been coming for years. Derelict, we can deal with. Tumble down, we can deal with. But where was law and order for the last 15, 20 years? I'm not blaming the guards now, but where was the law and order here? And people are saying to us on the phone this morning, we've been telling anyone who listened for years that there are parties going on in there and there are people going in and out of it and it was only a matter of time before it burnt down and anecdotally drugs anecdotally cider parties anecdotally any kind of carry on that you can think of Um, and elements shall we say and in or around that area there are problems with antisocial behaviour in other parts of that other areas around that part of town It was only a matter of time before the Sunset Ridge burnt down. Or was burnt. This didn't burn down by accident. Somebody burnt it down last night. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Now, it was around this time yesterday morning that I was talking to Trish uh, about what she saw and experienced when she took her two-year-old granddaughter into Bishop Lucy Park where they thought they might sit down and have a sandwich as you'd like to do on a summer's day in a public park and when she told me what she saw and experienced in there here on the opinion line we got a statement from the city council (sighs) pretty much trying to at least rubbish what Trish was saying and that's not putting it too mildly trying to rubbish what Trish was saying and trying to say that none of this is true I'll get back to that statement a little bit later on this morning but when I go first to uh, University Students Union, USI. Um, the leaving search results will be out. It was confirmed yesterday. It'll be out 10 weeks today on Friday the 2nd of September, which is about a week to 10 days later, if not more, than they usually would be out. Because the first round of CAO offers will start to drop on the 5th of September, which will be the Monday. So 10 weeks today, the 2nd of September, is when Leaving Cert students will get their results. Uh, Megan O'Connor is the USI Vice President for Academic Affairs. He issued a statement, Megan, saying, look, it's great to know when they'll be out now, but this causes problems for students up and down the country. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we welcome the clarity, um, but yet again, um, we're going to see these students put under so much pressure um, over the next few weeks. I mean, they're just going to be playing a waiting game um, to see what their results are. Hopefully, uh, most people get what they want. Um, But again, students don't know what part of the country they're going to be going to. The accommodation crisis is at the most acute stage I think we've ever seen it in my lifetime for sure. Um, And it also completely disadvantages students who are entering through access routes, the likes of deer, hair, here and there, um, but also completely prevents a lot of students from taking up perhaps international study opportunities and and so much more. It's about what, a week to a week and a half later than normal, is it? It's it's actually three weeks um, normal than, than what would have been originally there like myself when I sat my leaving cert I would have received my results in mid-August um, and now we did expect a slight delay and we did expect it to be towards the end of August mm. um, but this is a, a further week again and I actually can't stress the importance of every day when you get to a timeline at that tight mm-hmm. um, every day counts at that point I mean there are a lot of institutions with orientations that were due to start either on the 5th or the 12th um, and there, there's no way they're going to be able to do that in some cases. So some institutions for, for rising years, um, they have for professional registration courses, they have a minimum amount of hours or placement weeks that they have to make available to their students. So yeah. they're going to have to bring their students back um, around that time. You know, institutions around the country have those dates to begin the academic year for a reason. Um, and we're going to see yet again, I think, first years experiencing condensed first semesters. Um, having to take on more information than they should in a shorter time period than they should. Um, It's likely that they'll lose their reading weeks in some cases, which is a week that's typically around um, the end of October and November that Mm -hmm. provides students with an opportunity to catch up on the work that they have done, study, revise um, in in advance of their exams. 
But mm. again, when it comes to the exams, we're unsure if institutions are going to have the capacity to hold those exams before Christmas mm. um, or whether or not students are going to be faced again uh, with the less than ideal circumstances of having to return after the Christmas break and face into their assessments for the first semester. Now, let alone the pressures on you if you have uh, hope to go to a college here in Ireland. But if you want to study abroad, like go to Edinburgh, um, and, and Edinburgh will be starting its courses probably the same time as our universities will be starting their courses. We'll just pick Edinburgh as an example. And you don't mm-hmm. even know your results. You don't know whether you qualify until, like, you could lose your place. You could lose out an entire year. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, and I think, I stand to be corrected, but I think the UCAS results are somewhere around the first week in August. So there, there's a huge disparity there between um, those students and, and the students coming from the Republic of Ireland. So it's it's just, it's incredibly difficult. It's really disheartening. I mean, these students have faced upset after upset over the last few years. A lot of it has been avoidable but this this was foreseen um and i guess it, it is frustrating for everyone in the sector to to see warnings of this um and for the the significance of this impact on those students the, the, um, the, the minister I gave disregarded. A, sorry megan the minister gave an interview a couple of interviews yesterday but the one that i heard was that she was saying look we were, we're for the first time ever we're doing a second sitting for those who can't make a first sitting there is a shortage of correctors and and that's the reason for the delay. Now, while we accept it's the first ever time they've done a second sitting, is it acceptable what she's saying there? I really don't think so, unfortunately. I, I really, really don't think so. I think that the second sitting is welcome. I think it's something that's incredibly important. We need to ensure that we retain that going forward. Right. But if you if you think about the number of students that are sitting the leaving certificate, they're not going to have all of those papers marked by the time the second sitting is happening. Um, it, it's it's just, it's not that high a volume. Um, the shortage of correctors has been known for years. It is something that there needs to be a strategy implemented to address. Um, it, it's nothing new. So I just think they're kind of pushing the boat out there. I'm, I'm not really sure what the truth is and the cause for this delay. Mm. Uh, but I really, I truly don't believe that that's, that's the reason. Yeah. Come back to me lastly on the subject of accommodation. People travelling abroad, They've got serious problems, but people here at home, like student accommodation, at the best of times is ridiculously expensive and competition for it Mm -hmm. is furious. If you're only going to get your results on a Friday and you have to sort of accept a place on Monday, you then have to go about Mm -hmm. getting accommodation. It's going to be a nightmare, Megan. I think it's going to be impossible in a lot of cases. Um, and I, I think, and as well, like to, to highlight the fact that we're only talking about the students that are privileged enough to be accepting their first round offers. There are going to be students across the country that are going to want to appeal in the hope of getting um, a higher preference course. There are going to be students that are going to want to hold out for second or third round offers. That's why those processes are there. These students are not going to be able to avail of those opportunities if they really need to get accommodation. So th- we're we're really really cutting opportunities off at a significant rate. I mean, the accommodation crisis has been extremely heightened over recent years, um, and this delay is going to put even more pressure on students and their families. We saw in across the media last September, um, and, and we worked with students who were sleeping in their cars. Yeah. They were commuting six or eight hours a day to attend their classes because not only is the accommodation completely inaffordable. But it's not there. Um, and we urgently need action. And, you know, we're, we're calling for 
purpose-built student accommodation, but that's going to take years. We need interim measures um, for our government to support before September comes because we really can't face um, what we faced last year. I think we've talked a lot about investment in the sector and student retention rates and, you know, improving opportunities and access to education. But what we're not talking about is how we ensure that students can stay in education and survive while they're in education. Um, So I think we just need to realign our priorities a little bit um, and ensuring that we're looking after students' welfare first and foremost and ensuring that attending college in this country is actually something that's feasible for the average person. All right, Megan, I'm sure we'll speak again between this and 10 weeks today when the uh, exam results, the Leaving Cert results are out. That's Megan O'Connor, USI Vice President for Academic Affairs. Thank you very much. Confirmed yesterday, in case you missed it, that Leaving Cert results will be out Friday the 2nd September. Uh, CAO offers dropping on the Monday after uh, Monday the 5th. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, that statement from the council. I'll give it to you next. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Straight from our soil to your table. Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious. Courts 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96 On Courts 96 FM. Right, so it was this time yesterday morning I spoke to Trish, who on Wednesday had been to Bishop Lucy Park, beautiful summer's day. Her two-year-old granddaughter was with her and they wanted to sit on a park bench and her granddaughter wanted to play and maybe have a sandwich and, you know, typical things that people do in a city park on a summer's day. And Trish said that the place was filthy and she said that the place was an embarrassment and she talked about the uh, fountain not working and being full of litter. She talked about dog poo. She talked about bird poo. Everywhere. All over the seats, all over the benches. Everywhere. And she talked about having to watch her little granddaughter as she went around to try to play just in case she'd fall on bird poo. There was also broken glass that she drew to her attention. There was also patch where, where her daughter or granddaughter likes to play and run around. There were nettles, which she said were out of control. And Trish told me that she felt embarrassed and felt angry at the state of Bishop Lucy Park. We got a statement back from Cork City Council which said, and I quote, This is simply so unfair on our staff. The park is maintained seven days a week by our park team, with the 14 bins emptied on a daily basis. See the photos we took earlier this morning, which are at complete variance with what was reported. And they did attach to about three, I think, maybe four, but definitely three photographs, in which the park looks perfectly fine. Until you zoom in. I'll give you that in a sec. But Trish was on the phone there while I was telling you about this, saying that she has nothing against the staff. Uh, they do what they do and they do it as well as they can. But there has to be a symptom, systematic approach to how this works and more responsibility taken higher up. She points out that the statement doesn't address 
bird poo. She points out that the photos don't show things she saw, like patches of broken glass and syringes and stuff. And she said they're not of a high enough resolution to be able to show that kind of thing because we offered her the opportunity to see those photos. If you zoom in on the photo, which we did yesterday when they came in and zoomed in on the computer, and we have copies of them, when you zoom in on one of the benches, there are streaks, I mean streaks, of bird poo all over the benches. So, fair play to the park staff for cleaning out the bins every morning. And maybe you could do it again during the day at some stage, but fair play to the, for doing what you do. For doing what you do, thank you. But there's a lot more needs to be done. Like those nettles need to be cut. The broken glass needs to be picked up. And the place needs to be flipping well power-hosed to get rid of all of the light that is around there. So can we get that attended to? Maybe ASAP? That would be nice too. And don't tell us they're not there because yesterday, as I said, the minute that we got the photos... I zoomed in on the back of the, on, on, onto the picture of the park bench, and there's, you know, it's on the park bench. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, John Carmody, uh, an Emeroids activist. I read this article with interest in the last few days, um, in which it says that this there was a landmark ruling. First of all, in a court in New York, that said an elephant called Happy, was not being illegally detained in the Bronx Zoo. Bizarre court case. But it led to some commentary by activists that zoos should be closed down and they do nothing for animals. Do you believe that, John? Good morning. Good morning, Chip PJ. Let's batten down the hatches for this one because I, I can tell you now this was a court case um, a long time coming for that elephant. Um, and he was far from happy, let's face it. Um, but I just want to go back and tell your, your listeners just a very in a snapshot about this, actually. The, the court case was taken by uh, the Non-Human Rights Project, uh, a New York-based advocacy group for animal rights, PJ, in, in New York. And it wouldn't have been the first case that was taken on behalf of... Um, an animal. We had Happy the Elephant and there would have been Orca whales, there would have been chimpanzees and these would have been all animals um, that would have been kept in captivity. For instance, um, a marine park in, in Los Angeles, San Diego was one of them and there was another zoo that was held, um, that held uh, a chimpanzee captive as well. And let's face it, the, 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 the lock, the, the cases held that were captive, brought, John? Like, yeah. I'll tell you why, PJ, and this is why I was happy to come on this morning to try trash this out with yourself and your listeners to to get our heads around this. Um, The the, the lawsuit was basically about trying to establish some very basic rights for these animals. And I think that the animal rights movement has turned a corner now. We've really advanced to the point we're starting to bring court cases to try to establish basic rights for animals. And look, PJ, they're not, animals are not looking to vote. And I can tell you here and now, if they were to vote, they would do a damn better job than what we can do. I can tell you that here and now. <laughs> you cut me off. You're, you, you and I have talked too many times, John Camby. You cut me off at the past with an old one I threw at you years ago. So good man. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. You know, ideally, it's just about recognising that they should be free of pain and suffering and free to live out their lives as nature intended. So that court case that was taken on behalf of that elephant was essentially, he's there since the 1970s, PGM. Mm. I wish to God that creature... Well, was, was he born there? Was he born there? 
I, I don't know. And if going back to the 70s, there was a lot of um, elephants taken from the wild at that stage for zoos and stuff. Now, I, I, I stand to be corrected on that. But mm. going back around that time, you don't really hear about it in this day and age that happening anymore. They're normally bred. They're shipped from one zoo to the other. But the bottom line in this one anyway, we didn't we didn't win the case, but we got huge press coverage all over the world. The movement did. Um, but the elephant is still in that zoo and they suffer from depression, from self-destructive behaviour. They pace back and forth and they walk around in tight circles. It's called the zoocosis because they're not fools. They, 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 live, they live, sleep and breed in these boring enclosures and essentially they are being held captive. We were captive for two years, but at least we got to get out after mm. COVID, you know. But those poor, those animals are stuck there and they know it. When you look in their IPG, you know that there's someone at home. Can I bring in a third voice here, uh, John, if you wouldn't mind? I'm sure you've heard sure. of um, David Attenborough. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure you would agree, John, that David Attenborough has forgotten more about the welfare animals than you or I will ever know. Would you agree? 100%. Now, David Attenborough gave a lecture um, a number of years ago and an interview to do with London Zoo, where he said that practices had changed and that was only right that they did. And he said that. But he also spoke about the importance of zoos. And let's, now this is a number of years old. This was maybe 2016 or maybe even before it. But here's what the great David Attenborough said about zoos. The practical ways in which you run zoos have changed hugely. Uh, the emphasis on breeding, for example, is, is, is of great importance. And the emphasis on education has increased extraordinarily over the last 50 years. Uh, and the zoos can do things that nothing else can do. You don't actually know what an elephant is like unless you've seen one standing alongside it. And we can't all go to the plains of East Africa. Very important for education and conservation, says the great David Attenborough. That, that's a good link, PJ, and thanks for bringing that up. And it's a good question that you put as well. Now, here's the thing, and I wish I could sit down with David Attenborough. I, I ain't David Attenborough. I will never be David Attenborough. But I can tell you this, that zoos play little to no part in true conservation, first of all, okay? I don't know very much, you know, stories of of them bringing animals from captivity back into the wild. And that is the God's honest truth, as someone else said. The other thing as well is, is that if you go into any zoo, and I, I went to zoos for years, actually, as a matter of fact, and let's face it, Peter, we can't all book a Ryanair flight and fly over to the Congo or to Savannah where we can see these animals in the wild. And of course, the next best option is to try and go and see them in zoos. But where we're coming from is the fact that these animals are kept in a completely unnatural environment. You're not seeing the animals show their true colours. You're, you're seeing an absolute, complete shadow of themselves. But would you accept Which that if they are bred to... there, they know, know that many, some of the animals bred in zoos, in, in perfectly good breeding and conservation programmes, they wouldn't last five minutes on the African savannas because it's not their environment? That's, you know, I want to believe that any of us, whether animals or humans, that when, when we're confined and when we're, when we're forced to live um, in the same environment day in, day out, and us, ourselves, myself, yourself, PJ, and so many other people and all of your listeners right now here listening to this story, we were confined for two years and we were cracking up. We were talking about mental health the whole time and, and quite rightly so. With this 
animals are no different. They, they, they wake up and they're, they're looking at glass enclosures mainly is what zoos work on these days. You'll see the barbed wire. They put up weight. They pace around. Ah, well, no, hold on it's, a while. Hold on a while, John. Dublin Zoo, and I, it's, it's, it's a few years since I was there now, but they have got huge enclosures. Obviously, you have to have barbed wire and glass to keep these animals in because some of them are quite fierce, but, but the enclosures, they, they're huge. The, you see, they're, they're, they're in the back of the Phoenix Park, elephants and tigers and all those mm. other animals. And, and I get it, it's a very, very popular attraction. And, and I'm not here to tell people not to go to zoos for the record, but I think it's healthy that we at least trash this out oh, and yeah. we get the information out. But here's the thing, you're, you're, those elephants that are that are in any zoo, I, I would imagine, or any wildlife park. I was just about to go there. Would you, would you make a really distinction between, say, Dublin Zoo and Photo Wildlife Park? They're they're really there to to bring in ticket sales, and you'll often find PJ as well that the zoos really breed the most popular animals that pull in the largest amount of tickets, where they can sell the most amount of dolls and other merchandise as right. well. But I think that in time to come, thanks to these conversations, and this is not going to be a bad thing, that we were able to at least consider the feelings of other animals held in captivity, okay. which is what essentially it is. Right. But again, I do worry about the fact that these animals are facing problems in the wilds, but zoos aren't there to stop that, let me tell you. It's us humans that brought in the bulldozers, the chainsaws. We've cut the forest down. We've, we've, we've drained the oceans and we take the animals, the ones that we can, and we put them into these cages and these these enclosures, and then we sell tickets, and then we say, right, they're there because we're trying to help them out, when yet we're ransacking their environment, and they're the ones that are being blamed for the whole lot of it. John? And that's what I think, really, on this one. I will leave it there. Thank you very much, John Carmody. Uh, always, in fairness, always a respectful debater, even if I don't agree with him, and I enjoy our conversation every time you're on, John. Thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. You see where John is coming from? I'm taking a layman's side entirely on this, um, but let's listen again to the words of the great, the greatest, I would say, animal rights activist and conservationist of all time. At 90-something years of age, he's still working. The practical ways in which you run zoos have changed hugely. Uh, the emphasis on breeding, for example, is, is, is of great importance. And the emphasis on education has increased extraordinarily over the last 50 years. Uh, and the zoos can do things that nothing else can do. You don't actually know what an elephant is like unless you've seen one standing alongside it. And we can't all go to the plains of East Africa. Okay. I'd like your th- thoughts. Um, 0818 96 96 96. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. With whom do you agree? Do you agree with John, who believes that to, to keep animals in zoos is wrong? Do you believe with Lord Attenborough, who believes that they have a very important function once they're properly run? Who do you believe? 0818969696 on antisocial behaviour and litter and all of that. There was a man called the Collie, says Marie. I remember. A man called the Collie. He wore a navy suit and he was always walking around Fitzgerald's Park keeping law and order in the place. And he would get instant results if he saw Anton out of the way. We need to reinstate the park wardens. Uh, There's a complaint in as well about Jerry O'Sullivan Park in Churchfield. I'll come to that. But here's a man who leaves office tonight. And it is a tradition uh, on the opinion line and indeed...
for me, it's been a tradition since the late Chrissie Hearn back in the 80s that I have a, an outgoing interview with the departing Lord Mayor and I have an incoming interview with the new Lord Mayor. I've been doing it since Chrissy's day and I don't intend to stop now. Uh, Lord Mayor, Councillor Colm Kelleher, I'm not going to say how many Lords Mayor I've put through my, my hands at this stage, but uh, have you had a good year, Colm? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, I've had an absolutely amazing year. Um, gone in the blink of an eye, as every previous Lord Mayor will tell you, it goes so quick. You don't believe him when you're coming into office, but it goes in the blink of an eye. Mm. When you were elected last year, we, we talked about what you wanted to do in the course of the year. Have you gotten through that list? Well, I, try, I tackled it as best I could, PJ. Um, one of the key priorities for my morality when I took office 12 months ago um, was the economic recovery of our city post-COVID because we were just coming out of the severe lockdowns and so forth. Now, our city bounced back fairly fairly fast to be fair um, but you know we who could have foreseen the unforeseen stumbling block in the road which is inflation you know yeah. and it's 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 happening across the world completely now you know and obviously things are getting more expensive for people the cost of living is going up um, but no one could have foresaw that 12 months ago but we're still in a good pay, uh, place PJ we have you know uh, the GDP of the on the national picture is, is going to grow uh, by about 4% this year and um, you know, the the, econ- the economy is going to grow by about 4.5% next year, but it is going on what was forecast to 20 months ago, you know. Yeah, I hope that this line holds. Would you accept that we have a severe law and order problem, Lord Mayor? There is issues with, you know, certain, I suppose, incidents that have occurred inside our city over the last number of months. In particular, the, the incident that was videoed in McCurtain Street of a brawl out in the middle of, in the middle of the street and stopping traffic. Then the incident of um, the something very similar outside the old Savoy and Patrick Street in broad daylight, two deplorable incidents. Um, Those were in North Main Street as well. And there was, there was one in North Main Street. You have an incident, and I spoke to you uh, during the week about a, a spate of arson attacks out in Ballancolig. Um, there are issues facing our city. By no, uh, by, by no means is it perfect. Um, but in fairness, the, the Gardaí are doing the best they can with the resources they have. But mm. myself and other elected reps, you know, we're... We're blue in the face, PJ, really, from saying that we need more guards in Cork, you know, and that's what it boils down to. You mm. know, they're they're doing the best with the with the resources they have, but we don't have enough resources when it yeah. comes to policing. One of the last things you she know? did was invite Commissioner Drew Harris to address or be at uh, the, the, the JPC. Do you think he'll come? Well, I'm also chairman of the JPC um, in, in Cork City. Um, there was an open invitation extended to the commissioner prior to all this happening anyway. And he, he did uh, visit us virtually last year. Um, but I would hope he does come. And, you know, um, every elected rep that's on the JPC will be singing from the same hymn sheet, myself included. Um, we do need more resources down here. Whether he come in my tenure, my tenure as the chairperson of the Joint Policing Committee is uh, coming to an end in September. Right. Um, and will we'll elect a new uh, chairperson um, but you know hopefully if, if if he comes during my tenure as chairperson of the JPC I'll be asking him those hard questions and I, I'll remain as a member of the JPC when I step down off the chair in September okay. um, and I'll still be asking those hard questions when he does come down because we do need more guards in the street. Mm-hmm. The dogs you, in the street know that PJ. You were also um, d- determined to do something about an injection centre. You believe in them. Did you get anywhere with that? 
I do believe in him. Um, and in fairness, the majority of the stakeholders in the city believe in him. Um, we have the HSC on board. We have Ungardi on board. We have council on board. We have the executive on board. Um, I've spoken with the health minister privately. I've written to him. He's responded via letter and I've spoken to him privately. Um, he's open to the idea of it. Uh, I recently spoke with the governor of New Jersey when he was over. They have them. They call them safe step-down centres over there. Um he, he he came out 100% in support of them. There's every stakeholder that's involved in it in the country and in the city are on board with this. They're firing ahead with their plans above in Dublin. And I spoke with the Canadian ambassador recently at a function in Dublin and um, they have them in Vancouver and Montreal, mental mm. supervised injection facilities. Um, and we're actually liaising, although I leave office this evening, uh, the Lord Mayor's office will continue to liaise with the Canadian okay. uh, embassy and hopefully we can get out there and have a look at what they have to offer and try to bring it back home here mm. because it is needed. And I do leave office this evening um, and it's been a fantastic year yeah. um, but I'm not going to give up on, okay. on this crusade that I have to be quite honest with you I go back out onto the council floor uh, this evening and one thing I am looking forward to is uh, having a political opinion back once more because as Lord Mayor <laughs> you're, you're not supposed to have that indeed indeed have you one memory of the last 12 months Gollum that stands out for you oh, Jesus I <laughs> That's been us putting me on the spot there, no, PJ. <laughs> There's been so many. Um, I, I, I went in through the dart yesterday. Um, it was a beautiful day. I got scalded. I went out in the James <laughs> Joyce and I didn't put on any any sun protection whatsoever. I looked like a, an absolute tomato this morning. But anyway, um, some people could say it's blood pressure, but no, it's, it's actually the sun. Uh, one memory, uh, look, there were... The, there were so many. Um, I got to sit down with Michael D. Higgins for 40 minutes and had a private lunch with him in the Lord Mayor's office mm. uh, some months ago. And the man is an absolute fountain of knowledge. But just to sit with him privately, just myself and himself, and have a conversation about his political career and his life growing up in Galway and mm. his, you know, activism in, when he was going to college in Galway and picket, picketing and protesting and just a fabulous insight mm. to, you know, our Oakthron's mind. Yeah. I had lunch that, with him in, in the Eructus many years ago. I was introduced to him and I had lucky enough to have a bite of lunch with him. He's a remarkably funny man, isn't he? Oh, he's he he's he said to me as he was leaving, he grabbed me by the arm and he said, he goes, he goes, Joe, you got to be pulling off your left, right, and centre. He said, just be yourself. Yeah, you um, know. Um, you have another job. Man. You have another job coming up in the next few weeks. Um, I understand you're about to become a daddy again. I am, I am. So yeah, you know, some people would say it was a very busy year. Yeah, <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, I am. I am uh, myself and uh, Sandra are expecting our first child in about four weeks' time, and I'll get very little respite now when I leave office this evening. Um, but I looking forward to it, obviously. Um, but I'm hopefully might get a, a fortnight off between now and then, and you know, right. just disappear to, the, well, to well, the, the the back ends of West Cork or something. You have always been very accessible to us and very willing to participate in the program, Lord Mayor. And for that, for that, we thank you and and uh, wish you well. Yeah. For the future, PJ, I just want to say to the elected members of Cork City Council that gave me the privilege uh, and opportunity to serve as first citizen these past twelve months, um, and to the people of Cork, I hope I served you well. 
uh, I, I did the best I could. I may have not gotten everything right all of the time, but to uh, have the privilege and honour to have worn the same chain as McCurtain and McSweeney is something I will take to my grave with me. And for that, to the people of Cork, I'm forever grateful. All right. So thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion. And the outgoing Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Colm Kelleher, the incoming Lord Mayor of Cork, and it's not a secret out of school, uh, the incoming Lord Mayor of Cork is to be Councillor Deirdre Ford. And uh, we'll be speaking with Deirdre on Monday. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Morris was on and saying that the Lord Mayor is wrong about heroin injection centres. They're not firing ahead with the centres in Dublin, claims Morris. In fact, the whole development was stopped by the High Court. We'll never see the light of day in Merchant's Quay. Really, PJ, you should know better than to leave this false narrative out there. It's been stopped from going to one place, Morris, but he's right when he says they're driving ahead with trying to locate one in Dublin. But you you also are right about the court case. I was in North Main Street yesterday and saw four addicts and it was sickening to witness their behaviour. And that, Morris, is the argument for an injection centre, a safe space. And there are those who will say that they work. And there are those who say that they don't, but there are those who say that they work. But thank you, Morris. That Yes, you're right about the, the one that was planned for Dublin, but they're going to drive ahead and try and get it somewhere else. But thank you for that. Uh, Nora says, with rights come responsibility. People who cause carnage on our streets should expect all the rights but none of the responsibilities. Ergo, their rights should be withdrawn until they can show they're responsible enough to have them. This would mean they'd be separated from the mainstream and given the help they need to earn back the rights and handle them properly. I'm assuming you mean that we need to put more people in jail for what's happening on the streets, Nora. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. I just want to move on to a teen, teenagers, and, you know, stuff they can occupy themselves with during the summer, including self-growth and maybe how we can all look at our self-growth, particularly in that couple of weeks in the summer where we take our time to ourselves and take time off. A couple of emails in. Actually, no, I'll hold on to them. And I'm also holding on to um, a statement we got back to be fair, quite a detailed statement back from Unpust when somebody rang up yesterday morning to say that they got a registered letter um, saying they could end up in court soon over the television license. And we thought that the Unpust people are coming down hard now for non-payment of a TV license. We sent them off a number of questions and like I said, we got quite a detailed statement back from them. I'll give you that or the gist of it at least between now and midday. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Karina Taglist, you are a teen confidence coach. Looking to the summertime, the teenagers in particular, they've finished their exams, they've finished their school, they've got a couple of months to themselves, and it's, it's a time that they can use to develop. But let, let's talk about the problems of being a teenager first, Karina, and this, <laughs> the way they struggle with themselves. We don't see it. We've been we we've gone past that time in our lives. 
some of us further past it than others, and sometimes we forget the internal troubles of being a teenager. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, it's true that uh, we're past it and we forget sometimes, but uh, if we're being honest with ourselves and we try to look honestly back into teenagehood, it's a very difficult time. Uh, one of the difficulties come from the fact that we are being evaluated at all times from everywhere. So you're going to school all day, every day for years, and you're being marked, you're being classified, you're being put into ranks, you're being put into levels of this and that, you know. And um, nowadays also because of the spread of social media and when they put things out on social media, they are counting the amount of views, liked, comments, shares, you know, so they are being evaluated at all times. So it's hard for them to feel good about themselves because they feel like it has to come from someone else. Someone else has to tell me if I'm a good person or not. I can't just consider myself good, you know? Yeah. There is a very negative inner voice in a lot of teenage heads and, and some of them struggle to deal with it it's something you have to go through when you're when you're growing up but there's an for some reason i think every teenager goes through a period where they hate themselves do they yeah unfortunately that's what i see a lot uh in teenagers i work with is that it's uh, if i just ask them uh what is great about you what's your greatest quality it's a struggle to get an answer from them. They are completely unable to tell me anything positive about themselves. And I know some adults have that too, but I think the the, the older you grow, the, the easier it go, it, mm. go, it gets, sorry. Um, but yeah, teenagers, they have a hard time just even saying one quality they may have, it's like it's impossible for it because inside, so, you know, I explain with the school and social media, inner dialogue is coming from whatever you hear outside and it becomes what you tell yourself inside. So if you're told all the time that you're not good enough, that someone else is better than you, then you're not beautiful enough, you're not working hard enough, you're not smart enough, you're weird or things like that, you know, that they can hear all the time. They internalize those messages. So they have to actively so that's what I'm trying to do is I actively get them to talk to them positively and talk about themselves positively mm. and to just call themselves what they really are because they are smart, they are beautiful and they are perfectly normal. I mean, we're all weird in our own ways and it's mm. normal and we're all beautiful. Of course we are because when you look outside social media and you look at the real people around you, you're going to realize you look just like them and that's just fine. That's what we're supposed to look like, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the same. Um, they are not stupid. They often think they are stupid, but they're not. They're perfectly fine. They're perfectly intelligent. They just compare themselves to the geniuses, you know, the 2% of the population who can do everything perfectly yeah. the first time and they yeah. are put in... That, that that seems to be a social media driven thing, Karina, as I see it. They are so driven to perfection that they become so terrified of making a mistake. One way that it that it manifests itself is, for example, if they're talking to somebody like me, they're very worried, very worried about getting something wrong. Yes. So um, oftentimes they even tell me they are afraid to speak up in class because they're afraid they're going to say something stupid and people are going to laugh or they're going to be judged, you know. So there's always this kind of judgment, um, Mm. the fear of judgment, the fear of failure. And um, 
I think it's social media. Themselves? Does that come from within themselves? So, so it is in themselves because their their environment made them internalize some messages. It can come from TV, from movies. You know, when you always put so much emphasis of people that are special, you forget ordinary people exist. You know, and they think they have to be extraordinary to be just accepted. Mm-hmm. which means they have to be perfect at everything first try. They have to be flawless, which we're not. Nobody is. Yeah. So um, we have to actively remind them that mistakes are part of the process. And that's part of the learning process. You learn by making mistakes, which is why actually this summer, if they can try to learn a new craft and actually be regular at it and take the time to make the mistakes that are going to lead them to be good at it later, that'll be just fantastic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, because they, they seem afraid to make a mess of something. And and those of us who are older and have been there and done that and bought the T-shirt, I think do we, <laughs> we have a kind of a duty to say to them, that's okay, try again. They yes. have a duty to that. That's exactly that. So having the conversation and, and even the way you talk about yourself in front of the children is so important. Like when you make a mistake yourself and you say, oh my God, I'm so stupid. They are going to conclude, oh yeah, making a mistake makes someone stupid. So having this conversation of saying, okay, you know, maybe sometimes out of the blue, I'm going to say that it's actually okay. It's part of the process. I was not born knowing how to do things. I learned because now I'm like, for example, I'm 40. So I'm now I'm 40. So I know how to do this, that and that. But when I was 12, I didn't know. When I was 15, I did not know. I had to learn and experience taught me how to do it. And it's okay. This is your age to try, make mistakes, learn from them, you know? Yeah, I think we can all learn from that principle that we should remind ourselves that we're not perfect every day and remind ourselves that, you know, just because you didn't get something right the first time doesn't mean you can't do it the next time. You can't reach out for help and yes. say, I can't figure this out. Can you help me? And it's the teenage years are great to, great to learn that, that principle. I, I don't know if you saw it during the week, Karina. There was research published by the Economic and Social Research Institute. And I said on air here afterwards, I thought it was into mental health in young people. And I thought maybe we adults were a little hard on them during lockdown, that we didn't fully appreciate the effect that lockdown was having on them. Would you go along with me there? I agree with you. I saw a post recently on Facebook of a woman saying, oh, I'd love to try to throw my 15-year-olds back in the 80s. I'm sure they wouldn't survive. Well, they just survived a pandemic, a global pandemic, the direct effect of um, global warming. They are living tough times. I think they'll be more than happy back in the 80s, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the 80s didn't... Exactly. I mean, I would go back to the 80s. I was happy in the 80s. Why did I ever come to the 20s? You know? <laughs> yes. 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 These are these are difficult times for everybody, but I get they're growing up in it. We're not. We're, we were, yeah. I think they are put on the spot a lot. And um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes adults, we can be too harsh with teenagers. We're too fast to judge. I think we forget how stupid we were as well. Yes. When we were in that period in our life, when we were trying to prove to everybody we're adults, we're independent, we know how to do it now. We all went through that. And we were all a bit, you know, stupid and were talking back and trying to prove to the world and ourselves that well, we're big now. I'm, we're adults. I can do it myself. And we know then we, we grew out of it. We went in our 20s and we went back to be a bit more reasonable. But yeah, we have to go through that stupid time and we have to 
cut them some slacks as well for going through it. Something a, a, a great mentor of mine taught me many years ago, and I, I try to use it in life. There's no such thing as a stupid question, but many stupid decisions were made because you didn't ask that question. Oh, I agree. <laughs> you you, you go along with true. that? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think... Um, the biggest mistakes teenagers make oftentimes is they do not ask for help. Some adults do that too, yes. but they, they think they have to do it on their own. So they do want they don't want to ask for help. They think adults don't ask for help, so they want to prove they are grown up now. So they won't ask for help. They won't ask for support, and that's the big mistake. And it it goes longer than that for some people, and even in the twenties, even. But, um, you know, your your brain is not too fully developed until you reach at least 27. So mm. plenty of time so to they're, finish. They're, yeah, they're, they're off now until September, most of them. They'll have exam results to worry about. You know, hopefully we'll mm-hmm. get all get away on a holiday. This is downtime. This is real downtime for them, particularly those who have just done exams. So how can we, as parents and, and older adults, how can we help them to, you know, get over that tough time in their lives? So I think uh, there's one thing that is important is to uh, help them watch their inner dialogue. So how they talk about themselves and to themselves and correct that. But uh, being soft about it, you know, like, for example, when they start saying, I'm so stupid, you know, like just correcting them. No, you're not. Of course, you're not, you know, Mm. always being there and try to get them to say the opposite, like, say that you're not stupid, you're intelligent. Why don't you say that you're intelligent? You actually are, you know, and show them proof of that. Like banking on their former success, things that they really managed to do great in the past. So an exercise I do uh, with them that I always advise, it's to make a list of all their achievements themselves, you know, like you can help and um, put it on like a glass jar, an empty glass jar, you know, and have it on their desk or on their bedside table. So they can always have a reminder of all their achievements there. And throughout the summer, every time they achieve something else, you know, actually writing it on a piece of paper and adding it to the jar so they can see it grow and they can see um, that's like a really instant confidence boost because they can see everything they've achieved and throughout the summer, they're going to see it grow and it's going to help them keep thinking of themselves of someone who has achieved something so it's it's good to increase our sense of self-worth you know yeah all right karina thank you very much for being with me on the opinion line teen confidence coach uh, karina tauglist do appreciate you being with us uh, it's been a tough time for the teenagers thanks karina it's been a very tough time for the teenagers um, lockdown was very hard on them we know that now from the research that's been done we know that lockdown was maybe harder on them than we were prepared to admit Uh, And the research is out there to show that. And they do worry about failing. And they do worry about not being good enough. And they do hold this fear of asking a question for fear they look stupid. Let me share with you a little exercise that I did one time um, when my daughter was learning to drive. Uh, And she did all the right things. She went away and she got the 12 lessons you have to get. Now, she was in her early 20s, I'd say, at this stage. She would have been. Her, maybe, she, maybe, maybe she was just 19 going on 20. But she went away and she got her her um, proper set of lessons. But, of course, every first lesson is with Dad. So as soon as she was doing her proper her lessons and she got her provisional and all of that, something happened one day. We were sitting at the finger post roundabout. You know it. Down there by the vet 
so you know where the vet is as you come onto the finger post roundabout. Now, anyone who knows that roundabout knows that is probably the worst place in Cork to try to get into the traffic lane. So, the little dilopy of a car that we had, she was driving up and I said, right, we're going that way. She said, no, Dad, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So we pulled up to the stop line and she took the right signal and she was going. And, of course, the little battered old jalopy of a car we were driving didn't like starting, didn't like the takeoff. So it stalled on her and it stalled again and it stalled again. And then her chance came and it stalled when her chance came. And she sat there going, stop, try again, breathe, try again. I said, if you think you can't do it, I will take over, but try again. It took her 14 attempts. <laughs> and there was a queue behind us and she said, Dad, look behind us. I said, to hell with them. They all did this too. They all had to do this too. And you know she's never stalled the car at that junction since. You need to do those kind of things. And it was a great mentor of mine, a great friend, very close friend who said to me one time, there is no such thing as a stupid question. But many stupid decisions were made because you didn't ask it. And I took that through. I took that as a life lesson. And maybe it's something we could teach our, our teenagers. They did it for the staff, Dermot Kennedy up at Apple Cork yesterday. Nice. Uh, which poses the question, what's the best perk of your job? My boss reckons that the biggest perk of my job is that I still have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I work for a major hotel group here in Cork, and when I'm going to Dublin, we can go to our other sister hotels and stay for free. And nice. We take care of it. Very nice. That stuff is That's special. nice. A hotel room up in Dublin is about 5 million euros. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. For, for a night out. I work in Jackie Lennox's lads. Say no. Oh. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. 
It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, if you're heading away to... Go on holidays in the next few weeks. Lucky you, I'm finishing up three weeks today. I'm telling you, I am itching for it already. But I'm going out of Cork. And every time I look at a picture of Dublin Airport, I think, oh my God, thank God I'm going out of Cork. Because so many people have missed their flights. And there's a few other things happening uh, in, the, in the travel industry at the moment. Like There's a threat of strikes uh, among Ryanair crew around... Europe. So I thought it might be time to catch up with a man we've spoken to many times before on the opinion, and that's uh, travel journalist Owen Curry, uh, who, who joins me now. Go over a few bits and pieces as we play, prepare for the holidays. Owen, good morning. Good morning, TJ. It's a big weekend for travel, and it sounds like a big weekend for yourself as well. I'm really, you're uh, really interested in where you're going to spend those three weeks. Yes, yeah, so three weeks I'll be finishing up here, and I've been going off for a couple of weeks. But the thing I'm thinking about is people are going out this weekend and they're already saying Dublin could be chaotic again this weekend. What happens, and I know the very first week this, but what happens if there's chaos in an airport and I happen to miss my flight? You're entitled to compensation if you have obeyed the direction from the airport. This is really important because Dublin Airport's direction is a little bit confusing. They say two and a half hours if you're on the short haul, three and a half hours if you're on the long haul. That's pretty straightforward. Then they throw in this little proviso. If you're checking in a bag, throw another hour in. So people are saying, uh, you know, that's three and a half for short haul, four and a half for long haul. It's a long time. But nobody's missed a flight since that terrible weekend, uh, that terrible Sunday three weeks ago. And the reason I say it's a busy weekend, it's a big weekend. This is the biggest weekend of the year in Dublin Airport in terms of passenger numbers. We're going to be running something close to 110,000 between the arrivals and the departures. And um, it's coping well. Today will be big. Tomorrow, not so big. Uh, but Sunday is a very big day with 330 flights, and Monday will be a big day as well. Oh. So it is, the, it is the real crunch weekend for Dublin. Something that did become very problematic also in the last week or two were chain delays as in I'm flying out of Dublin to for argument's sake Amsterdam and I'm going on somewhere else from Amsterdam and my my connecting time is tight. What happens then if, 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 if you can't make your connection? And this is really important. If you're connecting, self-connecting, which a lot of people do, let's say Stansted with Ryanair, uh, book a flight in, book another flight out, nothing. If you are with Lufthansa, Air France, uh, KLM, the big can, KLM through Amsterdam is a big one for out of court. Uh, the airline, is it's their responsibility to sort everything out for you. You don't really have to worry. It's happened to me. I've arrived in Dubai, missed my onwards. They put you in a hotel. They get you out early the following morning, put you on the flight. Um, it, it, it all works. But uh, we have had a series of those delays, chain delays, since the Dublin Airport security problem. Because, for instance, the late Lufthansa uh, flight, the... Um, the LH981 uh, that goes off in the evening, 
that has been has you know, it's been delayed to let people go through security queue and there's been baggage check-in issues. So everybody misses their flights from Frankfurt. Uh, not a big deal if there's one the following morning, but let's say some of those flights, you're, there's one next Wednesday. It's a big drama for people. The misconnections uh, that the American airlines have really suffered from, Air Canada, only 28% they produced a letter to Eamon Ryan this week. Only 28% of those wonderful Air Canada service to Toronto left on time during May. And a lot of people are not stopping in Toronto. They're connecting Toronto, which is in had problems of its own, huge problems of its own. So the, the whole thing of um, connecting through a hub, it got more complicated, and that's before we come to the whole baggage mess. Yeah. Uh, Heathrow uh, d- it disintegrated this day last week completely. Terminal 2 just stopped functioning, and uh, planes arrived in Dublin with very few bags on board. Yeah, it's it's it. I, I was listening to people who've been waiting for bags for for eight or nine days. A wedding dress for ten days in one case. Pretty shocking stuff. You were saying on about Ryanair and Stansted because a lot of people will go through there. They don't do the through. You have to buy one flight in and one flight out. That's why Ryanair don't lose any bags. You know, they'll go around. Still, you'll hear Michael Leary uh, trumpeting. Oh, we don't lose bags. The reason is they don't actually have to handle any. Uh, <laughs> you take your bag off and you put it back on again. Uh, point-to-point isn't where baggage issues generally arise, and they just don't do that connecting flight. Now, they've toyed with the idea, and they've talked about it, and they looked at what extra bookings they get out of it, but it, it's very costly because you then have to contract someone in an airport that will put your bags through. So in the aviation industry, these people are called self-connectors. Yeah. Uh, you're not entitled to any connection, any compensation if you miss your onward flight because the first flight is delayed. Speaking of Ryanair, what's the story with cabin crew strikes? Are we going to face more problems? I'm seeing trouble brewing in France, in Belgium, in Portugal and parts of Spain. Possibly in Belgium. Um, I don't know if any of the others will have a single piece of impact. We've won a council flight uh, so far. And I think that'll be the most, that'll be the, that'll be the whole impact of the strikes. The reason, PJ, is that it isn't the main unions that are going on strike. And what, what Ryanair did in 2017, they famously recognised unions very suddenly, really shocked everyone. But they then sat down, they did deals with the biggest, they picked the biggest pilots union, the biggest cabin crew union in each country. A lot of countries, that's fairly straightforward. Ireland, uh, SIP2 in the cabin crew and the IALPA in the pilots, you know, there's mm. always a bit of Clint Eastwood, go on, make my day, and those nega- negotiations, but they got deals done. Yeah. And in Spain, uh, the two unions that are gone on strike are not the biggest unions. In Portugal, they only have 3%. In Italy, it doesn't see, it doesn't seem to have any support at all. In Portugal, they, by accident, by chance, none of the actual members of the union, the small union that's called the strike, is rostered this weekend. Belgium is a little bit more complicated because it is a bigger union. And sometimes, um, the, for instance, the CCOO is the union that Ryanair did the deal with in Spain last May, just a few weeks ago. Huge surprise at that because they're regarded as the hard men. You know, when Spaniards, uh, Spanish trade unionists get together, they say, oh, well, what do the obreros think of that? Uh, the obreros signed the deal with yeah. Ryanair and the USO did not. 
So it's there, there's if, if people will remember, some of your listeners will remember way back to the Irish trade union movement in the seventies and eighties, where inter-union disputes were quite yeah. uh, quite quite prevalent. Craft unions who could shut a whole building down in a, minute, a couple of hours. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we had a row between two unions that closed Ferenca and Limerick, and we're way way back now. But <laughs> the, it wasn't between unions and management at all. Now, some of the uh, European countries aren't as well structured. And Bertie Hearn brought in all the machinery to stop that happening in the eighties. But some of the what's going on in in Spain in particular seems to be more interunion stuff now. Mm. It's irrelevant to. But the the, the bottom line is, it's unlikely to cause problems. There's got to be zero impact, uh, PJ. If twenty flights out of the three thousand flying tomorrow are stopped. I think that'll be the maximum, and none of them from Ireland, by the way. There is a Brussels flight cancelled this evening, which I think is related to the Belgian thing, but Ryanair don't actually let you know. But they will say, they do say that they, anybody, they're not <coughs> going to have a strike on the ground. You're not going to turn up and find your plane, start your aircraft is gone. They're going to cancel in advance, let the passengers know in advance, and reschedule them in advance. It's not a situation of you sitting at a gate saying, oh, the crew haven't turned up. Right. Now, heading to the Balearic Islands, there have been a few changes and people are getting caught when they booked all-inclusive and they're looking for another beer and told you've had your limit, mate. That's come yeah. in and people are not happy. What's it going on about, though? It's a very interesting one because it came in during COVID. But the thing is that um, the Balearic problem is uh, local councils, local residents complaining about um, a certain class of visitor who gets too drunk, just has too much to drink and becomes boisterous and noisy late at night. If you've been through Magaluf uh, at two o'clock in the morning, you'll know exactly what I... There was a video of, of some English tourists jumping up and down on cars as soon as the restrictions were opened. Uh, Santa Ponza, where the Irish get boisterous, I think you'll very much better behaved in general than mm-hmm. the English, but that's a national pride thing. I was, I was in Santa Ponza a few years yeah. ago and it's like comparing, it's it's mad, it's it's a lovely place, but comparing it's Magalufa's chalk and cheese, like it's... Yeah, absolutely. We, we, it's Santa Ponza is where the Irish go, Magalufa is where the English go, go, and we don't tend, we, we do get boisterous and loud, we do sing uh, the banks of my own lovely Lee or something, but uh, the reality is that uh, what the Balearics have moved against is a whole thing, a whole list of things. They include uh, promotions by bars. They include the closure. The closure of the thirty doesn't exist anymore. But you know, bringing all of these people from bar to bar, they get shots in each bar. By the end of the night, they're hammered. By the by, by six or seven o'clock in the evening, they're hammered. And one of the things that they said is all inclusive: uh, two drinks at lunch, two drinks at dinner, and you have to pay for your drink after that. It isn't uh, as big a problem as the other things that I've outlined. And I, but there is another agenda here, PJ, which is quite interesting. The Valerians don't like all-inclusive. I was just they, hoping you'd go there, yeah. Yeah, the, the all-inclusive resort is designed to, to, to imprison uh, the tourist yeah. uh, and make, and make, it, make sure he doesn't step outside the door. So all his drinking is done in the bar. And all the, bars, and all the bars down the road are, are losing an absolute fortune. Because I remember one bar owner telling me that in Menorca a few years ago, she was in tears practically because everyone was gone all-inclusive up the road and her little pub was empty and I felt so sorry for Owen, oh, I need to go there at low. I could stay here till 11 o'clock. We might talk again across the summer. But thank you very much. Owen Corrie, uh, travel journalist. I have a few more things to tell you before the end of the show. 
with regard to travel, the, the strange rules you need to watch out for. Richard and Fergal did some work on this for me. Finding strange rules in countries you're going to go to and you need to be careful. 0818 96 96 96. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Cork Proms comprises three successive concerts featuring the celebrated Cork Opera House Concert Orchestra. They'll be playing the music of Beethoven, the Beatles, and Broadway from the 11th to 18th of August with more information and tickets available at CorkOperaHouse.ie Access all areas On July 28th to 31st Cork Opera House in association with the Everyman Theatre present Morrigan a new opera created by musician and composer John O'Brien and writer Aideen O'Donoghue It promises to be a spectacular and sonically stunning piece with tickets on sale now from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access all areas You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any gigs by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas with Harvey Norman and JBL your specialists in sound this summer on Cork's 96fm Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Right, we were contacted by uh, a listener to the show, regular listener, Joanne, Joanne Galvin, and she wanted me to talk to this guy. And went looking into him, and he's huge. He's got TikToks, he's got movie reviews, some of them which are hilarious, and he's got a photography business, and he's on every conceivable social media channel. He's even got some merch. Hello, horse. Did I get it <laughs> Hello, right? Hello, PJ. How's it going? Did I you, get it? You, yeah, you, you gave it a good go, yeah, in fairness. Go on, do it for me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, I know, Keith, otherwise known as horse. What? Tell me about yourself, because you've got a, you've got a sensation. By the way, congrats on your website. It's brilliant. Thank you. Um, where did all this start, mate? Um, I don't know. I think like for just for years, like I've always loved kind of making videos and kind of talking away. And like literally, like from the very first phone I got, like flip phone, like I was out in the yard making silly little videos. Like so, I've always kind of followed that through. I suppose I did um, film and photography in college as well. Right. So I've always kind of had a passion for it, like one way or another. Where did the mental health discussions come from? Have you struggled yourself? Yeah, um, that's kind of the way I put it to people is that like I'm just I'm just a, a regular lad that's gone through his fair share of mental health things um, and I just don't really like the stigma around mental health that there is in Ireland. So I was like, you know what, I have this kind of platform. I'm going to try and do something about it. So that's why I kind of started the podcast and the like my TikToks and stuff and I just just want to try and normalize it, like you know. Did you turn your your skills as a as they call it now content creator into this? Because I watched one video this morning, and you seemed to be very very down in yourself. That you you said you hadn't come out of your room in a couple of days, and you didn't felt like doing anything for a couple of days. And then literally the next video, you were up full of the joys of life. Is is that is that the reality of living with with mental health that can be troublesome? On. Uh, yeah, I think that it's. I think people underestimate kind of how fast you can change either way. Joe, so like you could be having a really good day and then one small thing might set you off or you could be having a really bad day and then all of a sudden you feel good again. So that's kind of just what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to show a very raw, very honest kind of side to mental health so that people 
I think for one, so that people realize that they're not alone. And two, the other people who may not necessarily have a very good understanding of mental health might gain a bit of knowledge from it. Do you think there's still a big, even though we are talking now more than ever, thankfully, but is there still a big stigma? Yeah, there definitely is, yeah. Um, I don't, I, I find that it's more um, the older generations still. I think kind of people in around my age are, they're not as bad. Like there is still some people who are still very much, no, I wouldn't be talking about that now. You know, that's kind of for behind closed doors kind of a thing. Um, I just think that's a bit of a joke, to be honest. I think like everyone, every generation has had mental health problems. Joe, when people say, oh, we didn't have mental health things back in my day. Well, you, you did like it just it wasn't talked about yeah I think, Ma- Mary suffers from her nerves yes yeah suffers from her nerves like what do you think that means it means that poor Mary obviously had something going on with her mental health yeah 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 we talk more and we admit it and someone a great friend of mine who's no longer with us he was a great mental health campaigner a man called John McCarthy and, and he said a number of years ago and he said you've got to make it as normal that I, I have a bad back, I have arthritis in my neck and it's got to be as normal for me to say I'm in a bad place mentally today as it is for you to say my neck is killing me today. It's got to be as normal as that. Yeah, like I actually said something like that on, on one of my podcasts that I would love for it to get to a point where, you know, say if you went over to a friend's house now and you went in and you said, oh Jesus, I have a bit of a headache. The first thing they do is give you a Panadol and give you a glass of water. Like, mm. Mm. So I would love it to get to a point where you could walk to a friend's house and say, I'm not doing too great today and they'll bring you in, you know, you'll have a cup of tea and you'll just be able to to kind of chat about it normally and that whole idea of, oh God, it's this big massive thing will just kind of go away. Like, Do you know, Owen, for the person that you would visit and, and, and a great friend, you might visit them and they might say, you might say to them, well, look, things aren't going that great for me today. How do you open that conversation as their friend, do you think? Do you just go, well, what's going on for you? Tell me. Is that as, is it so, as simple as that? No, it, like it's not. See, that's the thing. And this is what I say to people, or just, again, I talk about it on the podcast. When I tell people to open up, it's just about kind of telling someone that you're not doing okay. And if, if as that friend, you don't feel capable of actually taking that on, that's all right too. You can say that to that person. Be like, look, I'm here for you. I will support you. But... I feel like that's a lot for me to emotionally take on and there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. It's all about like the honesty is is the key to, to all of this. Yeah, that's exactly actually um, what Dr. Tracy Marks, a psychologist, said to me a couple of weeks ago like that is if someone starts to share with you and you don't feel you can take what they're sharing, it's an honest conversation. So look, I'm here for mm-hmm. you, but this is this is hard for me to listen to. That that's okay too. Yeah, they, that's perfectly okay. And you just encourage them to like, you know, go to maybe a mental health professional or go to their doctor or go to someone like that. Um, like just reassure them that just because you don't feel capable of taking it on, it doesn't mean that their problem doesn't need to be discussed. Mm. Like, this is not an area in which you're qualified or anything, Owen. So you, you, you're you just doing it from the reality of a person who occasionally has bad days and you're using your skills as a content creator to put it out there. You've had a great reaction. Yeah, um, like when I first started, like like the whole TikTok and thing, and it was just during lockdown, and I was just doing it because I was extremely bored because obviously we couldn't, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. I was just throwing up kind of random videos, and then 
I kind of started gaining a bit of a following and I was like, okay, I have an opportunity here to actually do something. Like I have a group of people that are actually willing to listen to me for whatever reason. So I was like, I might as well do something useful with it. Um, and like I said, mm. I've gone through a fair bit of mental health stuff myself. I kind of understand the ins and outs of it. Mm. Like in general, in like day to day, I'll talk to anyone about my mental health. I don't, I don't really mind uh, again because I just, I want to try and normalize it. Mm. So I was like, I just combined those two things and now I have the TikTok, I have the podcast. Was was it a surprise to you when people started coming back to you saying I I, I identify? Um, yeah, I think it's what surprised me more. Um, and this actually happened with, I, I did like a photo book as well. Um, so it was like a combination of diaries from like yeah. when I was 10 to, to now. Um, and the amount of people that read like read that or saw the video about it that came back to me, um, what kind of shocked me was, because obviously I'm 24 years of age, um, but like there was people who were in their 50s and 60s coming back saying it resonated with them. There was people who came to me saying that they showed it to like their son who was like 10 or 11 and it resonated with them. You know, so I think it it was it, it has kind of shocked me that the how wide of like what I'm saying is actually like, getting through to people. Yeah, yeah. You were uh, you've been promoting this particular interview on on your TikTok for the last couple of weeks, and fair play to you. You haven't you haven't cursed once uh, so far. Yeah, no, it is it is very very difficult now. I want like. <laughs> <laughs> Because I would say some of your videos would, would probably not be suitable for small children in terms of the language you use, but at the same time, yeah, it, it's it's very raw and it's very real. And you talk literally. You open your channel and you just say what's on your mind. And how important you don't seem to filter it or collate it. You just go with it. How important is that? Um. So again, I think that comes from like other videos I've seen or like other YouTube videos or whatever. I can tell if something is very scripted or some it's like the third or fourth time someone is saying it. And I think that just kind of takes away from what they're saying. Whereas like, again, with the podcast, like the podcast could be an hour long. I don't script any of it. I just sit down, hit record and go and whatever happens, happens. That's also why I end up cursing half the time because it's just so it's just so casual. Yeah. But I want it to be like any of my videos or any of my podcasts. I don't want it to be like I'm sending one video out to all my followers. I know. I want it to be literally like a conversation between me and you watching yeah. the video. Well, I'd, I'd compliment you on that because that's exactly how I felt watching your video. It's as if you're talking directly to me, as if we were sitting in the corner of a pub or something. You're just chatting. Yeah. And that's that's in itself is, is, is quite skillful and very, very authentic. And you belong to, as 24 years of age, you belong to a generation for whom authenticity is so important in their lives. Yeah, like, and, and I think that's why... Like, everyone, even today, and all the people are texting me, being like, oh, are you nervous or whatever? And I'm like, no, not really, because I know, like, I know, well, I'm not sounding, I'm not, not trying to say I'm amazing, like, but I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, like, myself, because it's the only thing I talk about <laughs> most days. <laughs> so, um, I'm fairly used to it. I know what I'm doing, and I'm kind of very solid in, in what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So that also helps, like, when I do go to make a video or a podcast, I have a fair idea of, like, what I'm trying to stand for. Yeah. Is it kind of a therapy too? 
to go and do a video raw like that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like like even again, like um any of the the work that I've done, um it's never been a case of it's someone trying to describe depression. It's me describing what I'm going through at the time, like nine times out of ten. So as much as I wanted to like help other people, it does also help me to like to put my thoughts out there or contextualize my thoughts either in like the writing of the piece or the recording or or the even like the like the acting in the piece or whatever it is that I'm doing. It's as much a therapeutic practice for me as it is for you know, getting it out there to help other people. I mentioned your movie reviews. Um, I particularly liked the one of Goodfellas. It was short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, well, that's just like a little side thing that I do just to, well, if it, like I watch an insane amount of films and I have over 600 DVDs inside my small little apartment. Like, so it, I use the um, that app as just a way of yeah. tracking what I've actually watched because otherwise I'd forget. No, your, your, your Goodfellas review was brilliant. Where's the pizza kind of thing? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah, there was there wasn't mention of frozen pizza at any point. <laughs> Listen, great to catch up with you, uh, Horse O'Keefe, Owen O'Keefe, um, on any different platform, and good merch as well, and a super website, and a nice guy to talk to. And that's his first time on the opinion line. I think we'll talk to him again. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thanks to Joanne for that suggestion. Uh, he was great to chat with, and we will chat again. I need to move. That's why I'm going. Moraid has been out and about sampling our tourist business, and uh, we'll be doing a couple of features for us across the summer uh, from tourism and holiday makers and the general industry. And look, we know there's a lot of negativity talked about what is out there, but Moraid's been out and about meeting some people who are visiting us, and they're quite happy with what they've been finding. It's absolutely beautiful here. It's, it's greener and prettier than we ever heard or saw pictures of. Connie Mathis and her husband from North Carolina are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. They rented a car as part of their trip. It's expensive, but it's been well worth it. We, we don't do the bus tour type thing. We like to do our own thing, and it's amazing the things we've seen on little side roads, you know, little the little things. We visited a toy soldier factory yesterday. Just a little place out in the country, but it was so much fun. So uh, you couldn't do that if you were on a tour group. So we, we've, we're probably missing a lot of the bigger things, but we're enjoying the little things. Kinsale, a tourism hotspot, is enjoying the buzz of seeing visitors exploring the area. Liam Edwards is owner-manager at Jim Edwards. There's no doubt about it. The Americans love Kinsale and they love Ireland, you know. So, I mean, they, they've had two or three years without without Ireland in their system so that we knew the pent up demand was there you know and we're lucky in Kinsale we're started the wildest Atlantic way we've got the natural beauty of Kinsale we've got the old head of Kinsale the golf course is world class so you're getting golfers so you're getting a mixture of visitors coming to Kinsale and you know it's as I said before it's great to see them back Liam says they're looking forward to a busy time ahead once all the school holidays have started I think once the kids get off school we think we're going to get a mixture of some people who are just not ready to travel abroad yet we have the international visitors here so we are looking for a bumper season and we're looking to, we're, just, we're happy to be open restriction free and it's like we're, it's, we're very positive down here. Liam says
says it has been a tough couple of months with staffing being an issue for many. It's a huge issue in Kinsale, but look, the more I'm talking to other people around the country and the more I'm talking to people around the world, it's a global issue. I'm talking to a lot of American visitors who are talking about the issues they have in their towns and restaurants where they are seeing restaurants not operating seven day a week. And I suppose that, that's what's been seen in Kinsale, not only in Kinsale, obviously around the whole country as well. So yes, we have, we have our issues um, recruiting at the moment. We're, we're nearly there, we're getting there, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's been a tough couple of months. Tom Kay owns the supper club with his wife, Gronia. I mean, it's fantastic. It's a return to normality. You know, that's what we were used to for years. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a tough couple of years we've gone through, but we're delighted to see them all back and, and they've come back in their droves. Wow, what do they love about Kinsale? I mean, it is the gourmet capital of Ireland. They love the restaurants here. I mean, anybody who's been to Kinsale knows how beautiful it is as well. I mean, it's, its location on the water is just stunning. The streets are beautiful. There's great shops, restaurants and hotels as well. Tom says staffing has impacted a lot of businesses. Me personally, uh, no. I, I've been very lucky. We've managed to, uh, to hold on to a lot of our staff since uh, pre-COVID um, and picked up some new ones more recently. I mean, staffing is, is a global issue. It's not, it's not based too much in Ireland or Kinsale. It's everybody's feeling the pinch at the moment and that's really difficult for people. The countdown is on to Kinsale Arts Weekend, which kicks off on July 7th. Eileen Haddon says there's a lot to look forward to. Kinsale always enjoys um, you know, a lot of tourists, but this year everybody has to work hard to make sure that our offering you know, remains fresh and remains relevant and it's okay it's lovely to come to Kinsale and enjoy the the harbourscape and and the town itself but I think people were always on the lookout for some you know entertainment which makes the experience even more exciting and even more memorable and I think that's what the Arts Weekend um, contributes. Maureen, thank you for that. Unfortunately, the weather is not going to be with us over the weekend to enjoy the kind of things Maureen is talking about, but thank you very much for that. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96FM Right, some stuff to clear. It's a busy morning. Um, first of all, Cindy was on to us by email. Uh, opinion at 96fm.ie There is a bird trapped on an aerial set of aerials in Carrigaline and the owner can't seem to get it down. It's been up there for two days and nights now. Obviously the poor animal is very distressed. They need somebody with a ladder or a cherry picker to help. Uh, the bird, as we speak, is still alive but as you can imagine, A, hungry and B, frightened at this stage. So if anybody can help with that, if you've got a, a ladder or a cherry picker or anything around Carrigaline area, there's a bird trapped. It seems to be somebody's pet. We don't know what kind of bird it is. But Cindy uh, would put you in touch with the owner, etc., etc., if, if if it's a thing that you can help. It's it's a long shot, Cindy. But thanks for that. Uh, on Horse or Cave, um, Michael Cronin was saying it's refreshing to hear a young man speaking so openly about his mental health, and it is all of that. Just on Unpost and the licences, I'll come back to it, I promise. We're really busy this morning. One thing to watch, and I'll give you more on this, they say the definition of a television set has changed. That's So what is a television? What constitutes a television? That, that has actually changed? 
But also, we got a message saying that they'd missed one visit and now there was a summons. It's not as simple as that. I'll come back to it uh, between now and uh, quitting time. Uh, don't make me, don't let me forget that, Fergal, because I, I promised I'd do it. Eva Bannon joins me from the Sun. Eva, how, how long more is left in this particular season? Good morning. Hi, PJ, how's it going? Um, there's still ages left. We're actually only two weeks in. So we're we're at the like tip of the iceberg. There's like another four weeks to go. Right. Um, it's a long one. Yeah, it goes. I always forget each year how long it goes on. And by the time it comes to an end, I'm almost like, even if I've enjoyed the series, I'm so relieved it's over because it's like, it's like a prison sentence. Like, do you get, do like you get sick of them? Even end. the ones you like, do you get sick of them? <laughs> yeah, I think by the end, like, you know, what becomes a novelty of like tuning in every night at like nine o'clock or whatever. Then by the end, you're like, I just want my evenings back. I just, uh, I just can't yeah. commit another hour to watching this. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I, I don't know if you know him, but, uh, but Black, Black Paddy was on the show with me a couple of weeks ago, a TikTok star, and he's a pal of Damie, the Irish guy. How's oh, he, right. how's he yeah. doing? Yeah, Damie's nice. He's kind of like lay, like he's kind of been under the radar for a while, but I think he's starting to kind of come into his own because um, he he was in a relationship with a girl called Amber and this just kind of didn't work out. And then, it, well, it, they were kind of fizzling out and then Amber left the villa and now himself and another girl called India mm. are getting close and they both seem, they're both kind of really likable people and the fact that they're together is definitely like a nice little romance to watch on the show. You know, it's nice seeing their interactions. And yeah, he seems like a really chilled kind of guy. Like, yeah, he's definitely like doing us proud. Like he's mm. not in there being kind of loud center of mm. attention, but he's just kind of quietly, like whenever he does get airtime, it's kind of enjoyable. So it's probably a nice way to to play it because sometimes the people who get all the attention at the start, you know, people can kind of get fed up with them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and then they bring, I, I could never figure out why they do this. They, 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 you go in at the start of the 23 weeks or something and it's like the original lineup. And then by the time it's finished, it's all changed because they bring new people in and they bring... Yeah, I know. And every year I forget about it because every year you kind of start off and you're like, oh, this cast is kind of like they kind of send in um, is maybe a controversial way to put it, but like quite normal, like regular people. And then throughout the series, they drop in these like what they call bombshells. Mm -hmm. So then they kind of send in like, you know, the people who are there at the start are usually quite nice, likable people, but not like going to cause fireworks and then they send in people to cause fireworks mm. and it seems to work quite well like you know like Maura Higgins like she was never one of the originals she kind of came in later like often it's those kind of memorable characters you, you forget show that. the ones that come in you, afterwards you'd forget yeah. that Aoife about Maura Higgins yeah. did, did, I read, did I read she's made about nine million pounds since this thing wow you're probably right like she's got a lot of big deals and she's yeah, like, and she's appeared in a lot of other shows since then. Like, she did Dancing on Ice. She's doing some kind of cooking show at the moment as well. And she's got, like, a mm. lot of kind of lucrative deals with Anne Summers and a few <laughs> others. So, wouldn't be surprised. You yeah, can see why 100,000 people apply for it every year, in fairness. You can, like. Yeah, it's going to kickstart your career because I, I was, like, thinking to myself, I can't believe Michael Owen's daughter has gone in because yeah. it's a, you know, it, it's a... She's young and it's a big career launch, you know. Um, but they were they were yeah, tipping her as a potential winner. Is that still on the cards, or is she gone? I don't know. Ah, uh, 
she's kind of one of those people like I think people are interested in her because of who she is rather than maybe for her 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 own yeah. she's definitely quite I think probably self-aware I would think you um, know I, I was listening to I a, a podcast that I follow yeah. Aoife uh, yeah. showbiz podcast and shall we say that the guy who presents it is a little bit cynical and and he said well yes. you know what if we didn't know who your daddy was we wouldn't know who you were um or yeah care. is there a bit of that about her I would definitely think so yeah um I like she hasn't said anything that's particularly like yeah she she'd probably be a wallflower if it wasn't who mm-hmm. she was yeah mm-hmm. I think she's definitely getting probably more attention because of who she is when it started up first two people were saying watch out for Ekin Sue now she's causing ructions she's is she is she bed hopping a bit she is the best thing that the producers ever put on the show it was definitely a little bit quiet it was you know they were all nice everyone's getting along and then they throw in Ekin Sue and she is yeah she's an actress she is she brings the drama so she's been kind of like she's well she's older as far as that show goes I think she's 27 oh and god she's, she's ancient about it. oh god no, she's, she's ancient. ancient but she is determined to settle down and she is like determined to find someone on Love oh, Island oh she's coming looking for a husband oh yes so she's like <laughs> she's quite entertaining because she is quite ruthless like you know she wants to find someone and she doesn't care how she finds them and she's <laughs> kind of had a few little like incidents where she's kind of shown that she's a I don't know. Ruthless sounds a bit strong, but yeah, she's definitely, you know, one to watch. Like she's constantly kind of causing trouble or, you know, mm. stirring the pot. So she's very entertaining. But yeah. uh, as a result, she's not too popular with most of her other other people in the in the Love Island villa. She moved for, boyfriends or switched boyfriends this week, did she? Was- yeah. So she she First of all, she she was um, there's a, an Italian stallion called Davide that had caught her eye, and then do we still use that expression? Are we still allowed to use that expression, Eva? We're not going to get cancelled here, are we? <laughs> I hope not. Sorry, I'm just saying. You're all right, you're, you're all right. Italian stallion suits. I've seen the guy. <laughs> he's he's very handsome. If he's not if he's not an Italian stallion, we have to find a new term for him. He's um, yeah, he's very very attractive. He's like a like statue of David. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's uh, <laughs> he he definitely goes to the gym, works out, takes care of himself. He looks well, um, and yeah, he caught her eye, and she was all about him. And then this. Scottish man came in and then she was kind of being a bit sneaky like sneaking off with this Scottish guy Jay behind mm. Davide's back and it was brilliant TV but yeah it didn't yeah. earn do her you, like a huge amount of love from her other do you know uh, what it is Aoife? I, 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 you know I mean we, we watched this on the television in the summertime for weeks on end but sure if you only went down to Copperface Jacks this crack is going on every day of the week <laughs> Yeah, it's like Copperface. Actually, that's what they need to make. I would watch that all summer long. I wouldn't even want it to end at the end. Um, yeah, Copper, Copper. It's similar drama. It's uh, <laughs> it kind of reminds you of the Gale Tell me I'm it's wrong. Kind of thing, like you know, really like close. They're all it's in like close quarters. So Coppers in the sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we need our our own Irish version of it. <laughs> oh God, can you imagine? I was I was saying this actually a couple of years ago. That what we should do? Cancelled. Send them all down to Shirkin. <laughs> <laughs> send in the camera crew, or send them to the Bull Island off Dublin. <laughs> <laughs>
And see see how see how sexy you're going to look frozen. Yeah, they'll be walking around in their fleeces, freezing. So it goes on for another few weeks. Have you got a particular? Have you put your eyes on someone and said there for the win? I. I'd love to see Dami and India. Yeah, I think they're like, because they've only kind of just got together. Right. So like two weeks in and they're kind of getting together, but they're definitely, they're cute, they're likeable. Okay. And I'd love to see them win. Um, and then obviously Dami's Irish, so that would also be nice. But All yeah, right. they'd be definitely good contenders. But as as I said, like it's actually still early days, despite yeah. the fact that it's been on for ages. Forever. There's still plenty of good few people to come into it. Yeah. And they always throw in this thing called like Casa Amor. You might remember that. Yeah. They throw in a lot of new people and they kind of shake things up. So there's still loads to go, like yeah. loads more drama to come. I mean, Ca- Casa Amor, I remember when I saw that yeah. first. Casa, what Casa Amor did? I, I remember that gave me an awful hangover in Santa Panza, but it's something completely <laughs> different. <laughs> Aoife, good Was it a cocktail? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good to chat with you, Aoife. Thanks. That's Aoife Bennett from The Sun. Look, it continues. Love it or hate it, you can't ignore it. And it continues until about the second week in February by the sounds of it. Love Island 2022. When we're adoring Adele, are you thinking, it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? Give me what I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100-euro pennies voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, I just want to read an email that came in to me um, from Hugh. And this is apropos of absolutely nothing. Um, but I was delighted to get it and, and I want to give it a mention. I know he'll be listening to the show on podcast when he's working over the weekend. Um, I told you a long time ago, and I've often mentioned it, I have my own Spotify playlist which is called PJ Coogan's Glory Days. It was kind of a lockdown labour of love. I got so bored having no gigs to do and, and just spending hours at home on Spotify and Moby DJ gear and stuff like that. So I made this Spotify playlist and basically it is, it's nearly 3,800 pieces of music now. But the only thing they have in common is that at some point in my life or other, every single one of them has made me smile for some reason or another. Uh, PJ, just to thank you for the great job with your Spotify list, Glory Days. You said on one of your shows that you had it and said no one will ever listen to it in full. Well, I, I nearly have, and I still do. I work 36 hours at the weekends, and I have your opinion line show from the podcasts from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The Spotify list is good. I know it takes a lot of effort. I've tried myself, but give up too easily. Uh, so at least if I'm listening and you're adding, then I keep listening to it. Thanks for that. Thank you for that, Hugh. And he says, if you like 70s, 80s and 90s, you can't go wrong. That's very kind of you. And there's a lot of other stuff. There's mad stuff in it. There's totally and utterly mad stuff in it as well. Um, And I feel no problem if the song comes up and you're not happy with it, just flick to the next one and you'll find you. Thank you for that, Hugh. That's very, very kind of you. He says, if I see you at the Leo Sayre or Gilbert O'Sullivan gigs, I'll buy you a pint. Thank you. And uh, don't work too hard over the weekend, Hugh. 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of the weekend... Uh, and I'm going to be talking, I'm talking to Orla McAndrew about um, food for the weekend. And, and the plan, Orla, was to talk about 
salad. But, good God, it doesn't look like it's going to be a salad weekend out there. But it's the salad time of the year. You can always have it indoors, can't you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. God, it's, the weather is shocking, it's isn't gone, it? And I may tell you now, it's down, it's it's going to be nothing other than grotty until possibly even this day week. Oh, it's such a shame. I'm actually catering um, a vegetarian barbecue tomorrow down on Bear Island. Right. So please, God, uh, you might fingers get a, crossed, you, we'll well, have a bit of a break. Be, you might get a, a, a dry... Hang on a while now. Vegetarian barbecue. How the hell do you do a I vegetarian know. barbecue? <laughs> So that's where your gorgeous salads come in, actually. So we've got, and you know, it's the first time I've done something like this, but it makes you that little bit extra creative because you want to make sure everyone is as blown away as they would normally be. Mm. So we've got all sorts of halloumi skewers and um, sweet potatoes and aubergines, and it's going to be gorgeous, but hopefully the weather will, the weather will play ball oh, for us. Hopefully. So what goes into the perfect... Now, I know when you're having bar- barbecue a good salad is is everything to have with it. What goes into the perfect barbecue salad? Oh, so tomorrow now, I think you can't go wrong. Look, we are Irish. We love our spuds and we love a good potato salad, but they vary so dramatically, don't they? So for me, I love um, kind of the, I love to use cornichons and capers and loads of fresh parsley and spring onions and make it really kind of a green potato salad. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, like there's a bite off um, the sauce. Exactly. And this time of the year then, we've got such abundant tomatoes and loads of varieties of tomatoes. So just keeping that really simple with a good mm. olive oil and some sea salt, you can't go wrong with that. Mm. Um, do you use local tomatoes actually, or do you use those lovely piccolo ones? No, I do. I Everything I use is all locally grown, locally sourced. And we have the best the yeah. best growers right here in Cork as well. Yeah. And actually, I'm I'm doing a series on my little, on my Instagram page at the moment showcasing loads of Irish producers and just using their produce in different ways. So it's all salads. So we've some amazing cheeses here in Ireland, mm. some gorgeous veggies and stuff, and just putting them together in different kinds of ways and, and giving a little bit inspiration. Yeah. Cheese, that what, those kind of a, a, a mild blue cheese crumbed into a salad is fabulous. Amazing. Actually, I have one of those with some figs and some red onion and some walnuts. I think anytime you have a bit of cheese, it's nice to put a little nut with it and some fruit and just play around and experiment as well. Yeah, some of the blues, though, can be very strong. Um, I, I have a particular favourite, Wicklow Blue, and it's it, it's not strong at all, but that's absolutely beautiful in a salad. And it, it, it's lovely with potato salad. It's, it is. It's beautiful. Do you know, I'm a big, big fan of the Cashel Farmhouse cheeses and their Crozier Blue. Oh, so, so good. So good. And what, then we have the Saintola goat's cheese as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. Are you a fan of I've, I've had of it. That I've one? tasted it. Yeah, it's lovely. Give me more on a vegetarian barbecue, though. I mean, there's not just one big salad. Like, what do you put on a vegetarian no. barbecue? So, will I give you the full menu? Do. Go on, then. I will. I got very creative when I was when I was coming up with the menu but now I'm actually in the middle of prepping and, and I thought to myself I could have eased off a little bit here because <laughs> there's lots going on but um, we're having roasted aubergines with beautiful caramelised onion feta cheese and loads of garden herbs that's one of the kind of main course things mm. then we're having sweet potatoes topped with a black bean and sweet corn salsa we're having Mexican corn on the cob Ooh. we are having halloumi and pineapple skewers and then we've got gorgeous vegeta- uh, vegetable skewers marinated in lemon and parsley mm-hmm. and then such an abundance of salads on the side as well so it's going to be amazing what are you putting on the corn and the cob to get the mexican flavor on it you just so 
marinating We've got a, a, marinating it in with with the um, sort of garlic and coriander and lime. Right. But then the sal- salsa on top is a little tomato and coriander and sea salt and lime and spring onions and stuff. It's just so fresh and so vibrant. So hopefully, mm. even if the weather is bad, people's yeah. taste will be on fire. And do you stick that? Do the, 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 you stick that on the charcoal? Then just stick, stick the cob on the charcoal and put the sauce on afterwards, or what do you do? You there? Oh God, she seems to have dropped off on us, Fergal. And see, I just want to know that because corn of the cob on a barbecue is lovely, but the problem with it is you end up burning it senseless if you do it wrong. Um, if you stick it on the charcoal too quickly, look. Have a good day tomorrow down in Bear Island. I, I sincerely hope that it all goes well for you, uh, vegetarian barbecue, but salads. And, you know, it's great to see, looking at Orla's Instagram this morning, Orla underscore McAndrew underscore food. I remember talking to Orla at the start of lockdown and her business virtually collapsed overnight and she was very upset about it. And now I see on her Instagram that she is hiring staff and that is great 0818 96 96 don't miss your opportunity I'm seriously tempted to drive down myself tonight or certainly at some stage over the weekend don't miss your opportunity to get down and see the world the Gaia, the globe of the world in St. Coleman's Cathedral in Cove it is open today and tomorrow and it closes Sunday at 7 in the Cathedral in Cove. It's open till 9 tonight. It's open tomorrow evening, 7 to 9. And it's open Sunday, 2 to 7, and then it's gone. And as they say, when it's gone, it's definitely gone. Uh, some fabulous photographs of that people. And you can get right up close to it. And people are going to take their wedding photographs, and they're taking birthday photographs. And it is the big hit. Chatting to them earlier in the week, from Lorraine from the Midsummer Festival. It is the big hit of the Midsummer Festival. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, what had. Yes, on post. Our questions about the television license next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Courts 96 FM. So the story of this is we got a message yesterday. Got a couple of calls actually about people who had gotten letters in the door from Unpost, um, pretty much threatening them with court over their television license. And one person in particular said that they'd missed a visit from the television license inspector, but only one visit. And they asked the question, "Hang on a while, is this a get tough measure now with Unpost? Are they?" visiting you once and then dragging you into court for an unpaid license. So we sent off a couple of questions to one post who handle uh, the TV license collection. And to be fair to them and to give them due credit, they came back reasonably quickly and they came back with quite comprehensive answers. So here's what we sent them. First of all, we asked, are the TV license people adopting a new get tough policy? to which the answer was inspections and the work of our inspection staff were curtailed, obviously, during the pandemic. Although our staff never actually stopped working. But there might now be the perception of increased activity as infections get back to pre-pandemic levels. So there's an inspection backlog and they're clearing it. And that would seem to be what's going on. Now we asked them with regard to the cost of living and, you know, are they going to keep enforcing the licence rules and regulations 
in the context of the cost of living crisis. It says, we make no specific allowance for the cost of living increase, as it is the law to have a TV license if you have a TV. We do have a range of options for customers to pay for their license, including a monthly direct debit of €13.33 or TV license stamps. You can buy them in the post office. Now, this is the question that we really wanted to get to. Can a summons be sent out on the basis of one missed call from the inspector? The answer that came back was no. In general, customers will have received renewal notices before an inspector ever visits. After a visit, we send out a letter in the month afterwards and again two months later. The second letter then gives clear instructions that the case will be sent to court if a TV licence isn't purchased by the last day of that month. So you get, if you miss the inspection, well you get a letter first and then the inspector calls. If you miss that visit, they send out another letter and another letter. So you could have several letters before you get uh, hauled into court. That's their response. Can a summons be sent out if there's no evidence of TV ownership, which is an interesting one? A summons would not be sent out on the basis of a missed house call, but if the inspector spoke to an adult resident, then the letters would be sent to the person interviewed and subsequently sent forward to prosecution if a TV licence wasn't purchased in the appropriate time frame. A summons would not be sent without evidence of a TV set, which is interesting. They add a little uh, coda, if you want, for us. And this is important in the changing way in which we watch television. Uh, It's worth noting, they say, that the definition of a TV set goes beyond the traditional set. So it's possible a person could have, say, a monitor attached to a skybox that combination does become a TV set. A television set means any electronic apparatus capable of receiving and exhibiting television broadcasting services. Whether or not it's used for that purpose is dependent on the use of anything else. In other words, you could argue that your laptop, if you watch your television on your laptop, or watch television on your iPad, or watch television on your computer screen, I think the point they're making is that can now be classed as a television. You need the license to watch television, to use a television set and to watch television. But those are the rules. But you can't be hauled into court after missing one visit. That's the key question we wanted to ask them. There's a lot in there. Um, I hope that it uh, answers some of your questions. They're, they're, they look very busy at the moment. They seem to be making a lot of calls to a lot of houses because during the pandemic routine calls didn't happen so now they're catching up on their backlog that's pretty much what they're saying oh wait one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I'm travelling on your own we did this before and uh, a woman rang me from Alcudia uh, after hearing this conversation she was there on her own having an absolute ball solo travel is on the up people just and particularly after the pandemic people just packing a little bag and off with them on their own and one of the people that does it and blogs about it is Melanie May. Melanie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I would absolutely love to sometime, but I'm sure that the wife and, and my son would have a lot to say about it. But what's the attraction for you? Oh, well, travel is just one of the most empowering experiences you can have anyways, but especially if you're traveling alone. And I feel even more so if you're a female traveling alone as well. Um 
it's like when you leave your comfort zone, you have to trust your own instinct instincts and be confident in your decisions. And it really does push your personal boundaries. And the self-actualization and the growth that you experience is it's just phenomenal. Like what I have, like my whole personality has developed from doing solo travel, the education I've experienced. But for me, one of the main benefits of solo travel is that when you're away and you have no one else to distract you there, you're completely aware of your surroundings and you can really connect with the communities and the culture of the places that you're visiting. It really helps develop your empathy for other people um, immersing yourself in the local culture. It's just something that we don't often get a chance to do when you travel with other people. How did you start doing it and, and where have you been? Um, how did I start doing it? I just left I was just, I just packed my bags one day and decided that my life, I was a school teacher at the time and I was like, this is not what I want to do. I'm not happy. I just want to go and see the world. So I left and I off, off I went first to France. Mm. Very easy place to travel to. Um, you know, if you're nervous about travel, going go somewhere that you're either familiar with or where they speak English or somewhere where they have a really great um you know, safe, uh, safe environment, like, you know, Scandinavia, go to, go to Finland first. Um, and I, and I, and I just left because I decided I needed to make myself happy and discover the, the whole world that was out there. So I started off in France and I worked as I went along. So I didn't save up loads and loads of money. I didn't have money when I went traveling. Right. I worked as I went along. So I went by myself and I would work in, I would clean toilets in a hostel in exchange for a bed for the night. Right. Or I would work in in a hostel in exchange for a, a bed for a night. Or I would mind children and babysit. So there's plenty of things to do. So I started off in Europe and then I went to New Zealand. Again, it's a very safe and easy place to travel to. Everyone speaks English. Um, it's small. It's quite a backpacker-friendly destination. And then I just bit the bullet and went to South America. And I spent about three years by myself wandering around South America. Really? Didn't didn't speak the language. Didn't know anybody. But when you're traveling by yourself, you're never really alone. You're always going to meet people on the road if you want to. There's days when you don't want to speak to anyone. And then there's days when you really just want to go out and hang out with a group of people and you'll meet them. And that's not necessarily just staying in hostels like maybe what the younger people do. When you're older, you'll also meet plenty of people as well traveling. So you might be there solo by yourself, but if you want to, you do not have to be alone. Mm. A woman traveling on her own, let's face it, in this uh, world you can find yourself in danger. Have you ever had a scary moment, Melanie? Uh, Yeah, I have. I've been mugged quite a lot of times. I've had stuff stolen on me. And And that doesn't put you off, no? No. So I was, um, when I first got mugged, um, thankfully, I I didn't know I was being mugged. An awful lot of times when you're robbed, when you're abroad, it's always after your fact. You're like, oh no, my bag is gone. Oh no, my wallet is gone. You don't actually feel like you're in quite a lot of danger. And what happened to me was that I had a cloth bag on me. Somebody came up with a knife, slid it off me. And by the time I turned around, they were gone. And when I learned a big lesson, don't carry cloth bags around with you. Mm. Bring something really sturdy that people can't cut. Where did that happen? Um, I don't want to say because I don't want to put people off. It can happen anywhere, PJ. It could happen here in Ireland. It can happen in Europe. It can happen anywhere. 
But what I learned was as I turned around, the person that robbed me had a pair of boxers on. He had no shoes, no top, no nothing. And all I kept thinking was, if that person can, can sell my camera, it was a brand new camera that was in my bag. If he can sell that and get enough money and pay for his family for a month out of one camera, you know, it just really made me have a different outlook on life, mm-hmm. on traveling. You're very kind my pri- to think like that. It put my privilege in into check as well. Now, this was way before the word privilege was banded about the way it is now. Um, it just really made me open open up my eyes to a whole new way of traveling and relaxing. And then you just, you know, you take mm. the precautions that you would did anywhere you, did else. You not, sorry, did you not feel like you were a victim of a crime? I cried my eyes out. Mm. Um, but I I had to just put things into perspective. I was thousands and thousands of miles away from home. I wasn't just going to jump on the plane home because something happened to me. It happens to everybody. I, I wasn't just a victim. So many other people are victims as well. Sure. And I, I was robbed by somebody who has nothing, who will, who will probably never get on a plane yeah, and get yeah, out and be able to yeah, travel. And yeah. you just have to put it into perspective like that. Scary things happen no matter where you go, in your hometown or when you're very far away. And I have to say, when it happened, I bawled, went back to the hostel, bawled my eyes out. And so many people took care of me. And then I ended up spending two weeks with a Brazilian family from a, from a guy that I'd met in New Zealand who saw my post on Facebook and his family took me in, minded me wow. until my new debit card arrived. People are inherently yeah good you cannot just focus on the negative and if something negative does happen to you you need to change your mindset you need to fight you know face the fear but do it anyways and i love that i love that motto in life lastly uh if there's one place of all your travels and i said to you melanie you can have one more trip and that's it you do no more where would you go i'd probably go back to mexico I love to. I love Mexico City so much, and I would just love to go and visit so many more parts of the place. I'd love to be there for El Dia del Muertos, and you know, it's just it's such a vibrant culture to go and visit. Well, I, well, I envy your travels because they, it sounds like you've had some fantastic adventures. I wish I had a whole hour to talk to you, but maybe sometime. Melanie, thank you, Melanie May, a travel blogger, travels the world on her own. Uh, interesting. Fascinating. Actually, the, 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 the idea if she was mugged and robbed by a guy who probably had nothing. And if he sold the camera, he'd make a few books and feed his family for a week or so. A very noble and very kind mentality. I'm not so sure I'd think that way myself. Would you? Queer online radio station, brand new online radio station, Cork 96FM's Pride Vibes. It's on now. Uh, it's playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that actually matter. And we're counting down now to parades and celebrations across Ireland. It's on the 96FM website or it's on our app. And it's got its own website too, pridevibes.ie, supported by Voltrol, the joy of movement. Listen live now with Cork's 96FM, 0818969696. Fergal, I'll skip the break. I'll take that before we leave. So if you want to get them on there, we can go with that. I had another email. Uh, I, I might come back to this on Monday because it's about the price of petrol. Uh, and it's more like a Monday morning email than a, than a Friday email but just to let you know uh, you've asked me not to give your name out and I won't but I did get your email and I do feel your pain and I think a lot of people feel your pain as well. Uh, I'll read the email Monday, okay? Uh, Stags and hens I don't know if you're going to a stag and hen party this weekend or a stag or a hen party this weekend but um, 
I read an article in one of the newspapers recently about stens, and and to me, a sten is is the concept, my concept of hell. I couldn't possibly, when I go back, I couldn't possibly do it again. But I'll start with with that uh, Chanel Hussey, who is sales manager of Stagit.ie and Herit, Hennit.ie. They do hen and stag parties. Uh, Chanel, good morning. Morning, how are you? Stens would be my concept of hell, but they're becoming very popular. Why do you think that? Um, I think the majority of stens that we've done would be nine times out of 10 would come down to, um, you know, they might have children. It's just easier to organize everything for the one weekend, um, you know, rather than have it split over two separate weekends for, for the friends or it's mainly family that are going. So, you know, it's, it's easier just to kind of get everybody together for one weekend um, rather than two. So stands are, they're not, look, they're not overly popular. Yeah, like it's not the last um, night of freedom they're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of the the uh, stags now would be very much, you know, we don't want anything to do with the bridal party, last night freedom, you know, let's go out with a bang. Um, and, you know, the stags are more interested in the pubs for pints. The girls would much prefer, you know, activity-based events, a nice evening meal, things like that. So, What kind of things do they like? I see that, uh, I mean, no, uh, a film theme or a television theme is Downton Abbey yeah. a thing. It is, yeah, wow. it would be. So, um, yeah, they're done in kind of country houses. So, you know, you'd go in, you might have a bit of afternoon tea, you could do a bit of uh, baking, dressing up, um, hand washing of the aprons, things like that. Um, yeah, yeah, they'd be kind of popular choices. I've actually personally done one myself, so I, I know a bit about that. Um, and another really popular one is the Mrs. Doyle activity as oh, well, yeah. uh, which which would include uh, Tor Craggy Island. So yeah, like there's there's just a real interest of you know getting dressed up and having the crack. Yeah, and doing something you wouldn't normally do, like painting or doing portraits yeah. or photography. It's it, it's gone. It's it's changed a lot from just going in and getting hammered hasn't it <laughs> it really has yeah yeah it really has you know it's there's obviously draw a nude or sculpt a nude but you know you can also be doing portraits and things like that now mm, um, back, or I, even people do nudes like nude nude painting and yeah. stuff nude models oh they're they're is, still is that, very very popular the, the girls or the fellas that were into that well, <laughs> funnily enough, only recently I was asked from a stag group to have this done. So, yeah, with the, with the girls now, the hens definitely love a bit of crack, love to have um, sculpt a nude, paint a nude. Um, you know, it's, it's a good activity for a mixed group, especially if you have a mix of age and stuff as well. It's really entertaining for everybody. Mm. But, yeah, I suppose when it comes to um, the painting side of things, you've, you've really got two spectrums. You've got the you know, the loud kind of draw a nude or else you have the quiet, you might be having nice cocktail and drawing a nice scenery. So it all comes down to the groups and what they're interested in. Mystery, mystery tours. Yeah, yeah, we do mystery tours as well. And actually what's really popular is uh, we might have an organiser come in and they don't want the group to know anything at all. Um, and the whole thing would be a mystery uh, for the whole group, uh, including the bride. So, yeah, really? literally show up on the day. They don't know what to wear, how to have the hair. Do they do their makeup? They haven't yeah. a clue. <laughs> I can imagine then you walk into a room and there's a lot of paintbrushes and easels <laughs> and someone new. Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Where do I look? Where do I look? <laughs> of course, you could go to a cocktail class after that then. 
Yeah, yeah. Again, very, very popular as cocktail classes. Um, you know, you go in, you're you're taught what to do. You get up, you give it a go, and obviously, the best part is having the taste at the end. Of course, quality um, so control always... is everything. <laughs> Definitely. We need to make sure it tastes nice to continue on for the rest of the night. Always important. Yeah. Yeah. Running around the streets with, with, with rubber appendages, that's kind of gone. But now they make yeah. them out of modelling kits. They do. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. There's so, so many things now at the moment. I suppose, do you know what's really, really popular this year? It's actually taken off hugely is yeah. having a drag show host. Get away. Um, yeah, yeah. Really, really popular this year. So who you likes, who likes them, the fans or the girls? It's the girls now at the moment, the hen parties. Uh, we're doing loads of bookings at the moment, having a drag show host where the group will be, you know, completely entertained from start to finish of their activity. So really gets the group going and ready for the night out ahead, you know? Hmm. Do you know what? If I had my time around again, I wonder what I'd do. What would you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I'm not so sure I'd be a good painter, put it that way. No. Or no, well, look, I don't think many of us would be. Well, you could model if you want. Uh, no. We're always looking for recruits. We can get you in. <laughs> Chanel, thank you very much. Chanel Hussey from stagit.ie or hennit.ie if you have a stag or hen party coming up. I wish I had time now to ask people what they did on their stags and hens. If you want to let me know over the weekend, uh, opinion at 96fm.ie, then you can do that. We had a voice message that I forgot completely to get to. This was after my conversation early on with the Lord Mayor, who finishes up tonight. Hi PJ, I'm not into politics, I know very little about them, but I must say I was very impressed with Colm Kelleher any time you had him on the radio over the past year. He sounds like a really lovely guy and I'd like just like to wish him the best. That's great. Then finish up with that. And our new Lord Mayor of Cork will be Councillor Deirdre Ford. She'll be elected tonight. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
Code PROGRAM.